We should check that if you're fucking recording. God damn it. Yeah. Son of a bitch. Welcome to Geek Fights. No. <laughs> I really Motherf- want. Motherfucker. That motherfucker did what? You gotta be out of your goddamn. Welcome to Geek Fights, the Ponzi scheme of podcasting. I'm Damon Shaw. With me as always is Mr. Mike Ortiz. Mike, what are we fighting about tonight? Well, uh, tonight we are uh, we're doing a great topic, one of the uh, the great science fiction shows of all time. We are doing best Twilight Zone episode. So, uh, who is joining us tonight? Well, this evening we have well, this afternoon or whenever you're listening to it, we have Michael Felsher, hey Barry Ingram, evening everybody, Greg Blanchard, good to be here, and. Pat McCartney. Hello. Uh, so uh, how do the fights work, Mike? 
Well, each of our panelists chooses six of their favorite Twilight Zone episodes. We throw in two more unknowns chosen by Geek Fight staff to bring it up to 32. We randomly match them up and drop them into tournament-style brackets, which you can download from our website at geekfights.net. We each cast our vote, give our reasons, and the winner moves on to the next round, where this all continues until something is crowned the best Twilight Zone episode. As always, there are no wrong answers on Geek Fights, only wrong people and uh, you can use any rationale you want, uh, clever, crazy, personal, whatever you want. That's what we call geek logic. And good geek logic has been known to sway votes, so choose your argument wisely. Rock and roll. Imagine a geek fight. Uh, never mind. I can't really do it. Uh, well, let's just start off the fights. Uh, first fight is yours, Michael, at least starting off. It is five characters in search of an exit versus the time element which is the unofficial pilot yes yes it is um okay well, here's the thing about this for me and i'm sure we're all going to have to come to a conclusion that if you're if you're listening to this uh we're going to be giving away the whole plots of the episode so if you don't want to have any of these episodes spoiled for you you really shouldn't be listening to this because i'm not gonna you know obviously we're not gonna you know try to be coy about this but the, um, the, the episodes are almost 50 years old for most of them 30 for some so. spoilers yeah spoiler alert yeah whatever like spoiler alert <laughs> but any but anyway the uh the darth vader is here. luke's father bruce willis is dead anyway um the time element was it was actually was it was intended uh, to be the pilot episode for the Twilight Zone, but it ended up showing up as an episode of Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse on CBS. And Rod Sterling had wanted it to be the Twilight Zone uh, pilot, but there was, it just, for one reason or another, it didn't work out. And so Where Is Everybody became the, the pilot. Uh, Time Element's a very traditional episode of the show in many ways, even though the show didn't exist when this happened. A man has a recurring dream about being at Pearl Harbor the day before the attack on Pearl Harbor, and he tries to stop it, and he keeps waking up, and it turns out later that he actually died at Pearl Harbor. Um, it's very well done, but it's almost a typical episode of the show, it's, which is strange considering it existed before the show actually developed any kind of rhythm. And then the final, the other episode is uh, Five Characters in Search of an Exit, which stars the recently dis, uh, departed William Wyndham, uh, and as an army major who wakes up and is with a ballerina and a couple other people and they don't know what's going on. And then at the end of the episode, it turns out they're all dolls in this girl's room. At least that's as best as I can remember it. I'm going to go. They're with actually that in a drum. They're like outside in a, uh, in a salvation army. Yeah. Box yeah. yeah so, that's right. Yeah. But, they were, but the, the basic gist of it was they were toys or, uh, of some kind. And so we're, it's almost like a disturbing version of toy story where they don't know that they're actually toys. But in any case, I'm going to go with that episode because I think it's more, more interesting visually and also with William Wyndham as a sympathy vote because he just passed away. Fuck that old man. Uh, Barry. Damon is a dick. Uh, the, the time element, I thought, was an interesting, uh, interesting um, show because you have something that is just so uh, monumental. That is the attack of Pearl Harbor. You know it's going to happen. And I like how we see the increasing panic in, uh, I think, as William Bendix played the main character there, as he tries to convince people of Pearl Harbor that's going to happen, people are going to die. 
but but like Michael said, that's that's more of a, of a typical Twilight Zone episode. Five characters, I think, was more interesting to me because you see it from just a totally different perspective of when you find out that you're lived the whole episode from the doll's point of view, which I thought was a really, really neat way to do the show. So I'm going to vote for five characters in search of an exit. A vote for five characters, Mike. Uh, yeah, I will uh, agree with what they have said. The, 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 uh, time element is, is a good solid twilight zone episode. Uh, it's got the twist at the end. Um, it's, it's clever, but, uh, the five characters in search of an exit is almost, almost borders on being kind of a, a weird surrealist film at first. Uh, you don't know what's going on. You have no idea. Uh, I mean, the twist at the end here is actually much, much more interesting. Um, it's, it's five just bizarre, random people thrown together in, in just this kind of circular room. Um, and, and, you know, in the end, the, the main character or the, the, the protagonist, the soldier, uh, just concludes that, you know, they're, they're like, oh, we're on a planet, are we in a prison? Uh, he concludes that they are in hell, that they are, uh, they are going to live out the rest of their days or all eternity, really. Uh, in this in this kind of damnation, and it turns out it's just a donation bin for like a Salvation Army. Um, so it's just so so weird and bizarre that you know these toys would have these these powerful internal uh, emotional you know narratives uh, when they're just sitting in in this box, and and, and for what what seemed to be something kind of innocuous uh, for them is actually torture. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, when Michael described it as kind of a weird, twisted Toy Story, uh, that, that's a good way to put it. If, if the Toy Story toy, the toys didn't know they were, didn't realize they were toys, uh, they would think they were slaves. They would think they were in hell. It's uh, it's actually kind of chilling. So I will vote for five characters in search of an exit. Another vote for five characters, Greg. Uh, I'm going to throw a little bit of love toward the time element, not only because of just kind of being an originalist. You know, and liking that idea of this uh, this show hitting audiences for the first time before there was a Twilight Zone. And that whole, you know, trying to put myself in the shoes of those people who were watching, probably just expecting some normal sort of, you know, nighttime special Desilu entertainment drama. Or, uh, you know, the same kind of show that you would have seen them do the uh, Peter Pan with, you know, back in the day with Mary Martin or whatever. But the other thing is I like about it is the Cassandra complex angle where he's not just trying to figure out his own situation, but he's trying to you know warn people about the future and no one believes him. So he's got that Greek mythology angle of having the power of being able to know what's going to happen, but the curse of no one listening to him. The time element. Uh, vote for the time element. And Pat. Yeah, I'm, I was uh, actually pretty happy that uh, five characters showed up in the first bracket because whenever I think of the Twilight Zone, this is actually the episode that first comes to mind. Um, it really seems to be Twilight Zone at its purest. All it is is five characters in a box all trying to figure out what the situation is. And that pretty much uh, um, summarizes the ideas, uh, the, um, the characteristic of the Twilight Zone itself. It also has uh, one, of the, one of the themes that... Uh, that it comes up many times in the Twilight Zone, which is the We Are Dolls theme, which is actually, which can be a pretty good theme. Um, so I'm going to go for five characters in, in search of an exit. And five characters in search of an exit is moving on into the next round. We're on to our next fight. Barry, this one is yours. 
it is Shatterday uh, from the 1985 series versus Miniature. Um, Miniature has uh, the advantage of uh, very young Robert Duvall uh, showing off his uh, acting chops. And that's one thing that, that I really appreciate about the Twilight Zone, at least the older episodes, is that a lot is that they seem to use actors who have just honed their craft years and years and years on the stage. So you're really very rarely going to get a bad performance. And Robert Duvall gives a really good performance in the uh, the the person who falls in love with the with the doll in the in the in the little set there. But I think that the uh, new incarnation of uh, Twilight Zone sometimes isn't as appreciated as it should be. And this episode Shatterday where we've got Bruce Willis, who, speaking of acting chops, a lot of times I, I forget that he really is a very good actor and, and chose it in this one. And I just like the different uh, textures that he brings to, the, uh, to his uh, alter ego that's, that's slowly wasting away, and then the other one that's gaining strength because he's starting to do the right thing, doing what he should do. So I'm going to vote for the new... Uh, Twilight Zone Shatterday. Uh, vote for Shatterday, uh, Mike. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to agree. I think that the uh, the '80s Twilight Zone was a great show, a great inheritor of the of the title. Um, and this was the first episode. This was the first one broadcast. It, uh, it was written by Harlan Ellison. Um, so they they kind of followed the tradition uh, of taking uh, as the original Twilight Zone did not just you know getting television writers. Uh, but getting uh, authors who had written science fiction stories to adapt their work. Um, Ellison was a creative consultant on the show. Uh, and, and the show had great chops, much like the original, a lot of, of great talent. And, uh, and some of that talent was Bruce Willis. This was the first time you really got a taste of Bruce Willis outside of Moonlighting. Um, and on Moonlighting, he played a very specific, very narrow character. Uh, but here he got to do some real acting, some subtle acting some dark acting um some of the elements that you would see here are the types of things that would influence performances or, or show up again in performances like the sixth sensor and unbreakable uh so it's it's really an acting toward the force and it's basically built around him uh it's a great story to begin with and and really just because i think that show doesn't get enough respect and i'm, I'm hoping that in the future people will not just dismiss it as kind of a knockoff of the original or an attempt to rip capitalize on the original. It, it was a very, very good show on its own. Uh, it deserves some love. And this is, I think the best episode uh, of that, uh, of that new run. So definitely Shatterday. A uh, vote for Shatterday. Greg. Well, just looking at this bracket for the first time, it's already inspired me to take a, another good look at that 80s series. So in that way, it's already a win. But I'm going to vote for Miniature in part because of other shows that Twilight Zone inspired later on. And chiefly, the easy one to connect Twilight Zone with is Night Gallery. And in some ways, the plot element in Miniature of that idea of kind of wishing yourself away reminds me of the pilot of Night Gallery where the, uh, the Nazi has decided to wish himself into a, a picture inside an art gallery to escape the Nazi hunters and sort of, you know, uh, flee from his own conscience in a way. And so I'm going to make that connection. And for that reason, vote for miniature. Uh, vote for miniature. Pat. Uh, miniature is uh, 
Uh, pretty good. But I think that uh, the storyline inside of uh, Shatter Day is a very good storyline. I like the idea of... Um, of uh, being able to, uh, in a way, reinvent yourself, and so it seemed that it was uh, a good, uh, a good uh, message in that story. So I'm going to go for Shatterday. Another vote for Shatterday and Michael. I think miniature is actually a weird inverse in some ways of the uh, five characters in search of an exit. Here's a character whose human he wants to become a doll, and it's Duvall's performance in this is really amazing he's so sympathetic and he's so he does so very little there's not a lot of dialogue in that episode that i remember and he just does an amazing job in this and it was clear that he was going to become a major talent i'm sure back then um but i you know it's funny when we were putting this list together i for some reason when i put all my episodes i was strictly thinking of the original series it never occurred to me to include anything from the 85 uh resurrection which i love i think that it's actually, it's almost 30 years old now, too. Um, but that They did some amazing episodes. There was one of uh, an adaptation of a Stephen King story called Grandma, which Harlan Ellison adapted, which was terrifying. And an amazing episode called Nightcrawlers, where a Vietnam vet shows up at a diner and he brings all of his baggage and all of his flashbacks and all of his, his demons with him, and it just destroys the entire diner. Uh, so it's great to see that the show is going to be recognized here. Shatterday is one of their best. It was the first one out of the gate. Willis is amazing in it. Essentially playing two sides of the same man who one half is stronger than the other. The other half sees the, uh, the one that is in current control of, uh, of himself as being weak, and it just takes over. And it's, He has to play the same guy in two very different ways. And uh, it was directed by Wes Craven, who was actually very heavily involved in that show uh, during its run. So yeah, as much as I love miniature Shatterday, a uh, vote for Shatterday and we're <laughs> Shatterday is into the next fight. Uh, we're on to our next one. And as you can probably tell, this is going to be a long episode. Uh, Mike, this one is yours. It is time enough to last versus a stop at What is this? Willingburg? Willoughby. 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 Sorry. Uh, th- this is really, th- this is the first time for me we've got like a, a big fight here. Uh, with miniature and the time element, those aren't ones that I really uh, would even remember by name um, and, and kind of under and, and knew what the, the plots were. But uh, th- these are two kind of big guns, in my opinion, the first time we really get to that. Uh, and, and, you know, being big guns, they're both great episodes, but uh, time enough at last. Here we go is iconic. Um, I mean, this is one of the episodes that, that people parody. This is one of the episodes that, that is kind of so ingrained in, in kind of the, the pop culture that, that everybody gets the reference and it's, it's, you want to talk a brilliant twist. Um, I mean, it's, I'm not even going to, we all know the twist. The guy finally can read his books and he breaks his fucking glasses um, it's, it's brilliant. And, and, you know, when I first saw it, I was a kid, so obviously I didn't see it coming. Um, and as someone with a very bad prescription, the, the terror of having that happen, uh, at a moment like that, um, is, uh, is definitely, you know, something that is always at the forefront of my mind. So even though they're both great episodes for me, the one that really just, it screams twilight zone. It's uh time enough at last. Uh, vote for time enough at last. Greg. Yeah, I totally agree. This one was the one on the bracket that jumped out at me is just brutally difficult. And 
one of the themes for me that's going to hit us all day long is is familiar faces. And you know, the first time I would have seen Burgess Meredith might have been Batman the Penguin, but it was probably this episode of the Twilight Zone. And so we've had a call out to William Wyndham and now a call out to Burgess Meredith. The you know, the thing for me that I think tips it in the direction of time enough to last is that that personal element. I was as a kid, even in, at the age that I was watching this show, kind of had that sort of same mentality of I just just leave me alone. You know, give me give me a stack of albums and the record player, give me a few books, just let me do my thing. And uh, I was uh, so much in sympathy with Burgess Meredith that I'm going to have to sort of push, push, push Willoughby off this list and vote for time enough to last. Time enough at last gets another vote. Pat. Hmm. I love, uh, I love Stop at Willoughby. It's, uh, it's a nice idea that uh, there is an escape to the stresses that, um, uh, that you go through in life. Um, uh, time enough at last is it, like everyone was saying, it's, it's like uh, uh, finally, finally alone. You have all the time, but then you break the glasses and there's no one around to fix them. Um, However, I think I'm going to I'm going to go for a stop at Willoughby because quite often I wish I could stop at Willoughby. A vote for a stop at Willoughby, Michael. Um yeah, time enough at last is yes, of course it is uh as Mike said very well known. And uh I, I just think that uh, it's it's hard to vote against it because I mean just that final pathetic image of him sitting there going it's not fair it's not fair. i mean it's it's that for me that image alone you could frame it and say there there that's twilight zone that's that's twilight zone and it's most indifferent and cruel um and whereas willoughby is much more of a sweet the sweet side of it um you know what the 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 idea that this man has he essentially gone to heaven he died and is willoughby heaven for him it's i i, I really like that episode but it, it's just i can't vote against time enough at last Another vote for time enough at last, and Barry. Well, I can't thank Michael enough for doing all the heavy lifting for me and uh, putting time enough at last on so I can show some love for a stop at Willoughby. When I was younger, I probably would have voted for time enough at last, but now as I've gotten older and gone to the work thing, and you know, it's time when like the 10th person of the day had used my butt for an ashtray, a uh, stop at Willoughby really resonates with me as far as a place just to say, fuck it, and get away, and leave everything behind. So I'm going to vote for a Stop It Willoughby. A Stop It Willoughby gets a vote, but we are on to our, well, time enough to last, of course, is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Greg, this one is yours. It is Examination Day from uh, 1985 versus Perchance to Dream. One quick shout out to in the rearview mirror to Willoughby, it probably has one of the better Citizen Kane rosebud moments in uh, in the Twilight Zone series as well. Uh, I'm going to vote for Perchance to Dream for two reasons. First off, I've got a clear weakness on the 1980s series, and Perchance to Dream hits a lot of the things that I love the most about surrealism, uh, not just you know surrealism for its own sake, but having that sort of neo-surreal undercurrent where there's a story within the story. There's something going on and the dream is is a, a subtext to it. Plus, the secretary character, Maya, is fit. A vote for Perchance to Dream. Pat? Um, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't too, uh, too um, 
uh, interested in Perchance to Dream. It seemed like at first he's trying to move a boat in a picture and then he's going off in a dream and it seemed to be a little bit disjointed. Um, Examination Day was was actually... Um, uh, uh, I like the the theme that uh, society would go and uh, uh, to to ensure control of the population, to uh, ensure that uh, intelligent people can't make it beyond a certain age. So I'm going to go for examination day. Uh, vote for examination day, Michael. Yeah, perchance to dream. I don't remember all that well. I do remember the uh, the final. The final twist of it was almost very was very reminiscent in a way of a occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, which we'll be discussing later. I don't. It, it, it's, I'm sure it's a solid episode, but it's not one that really sticks out with me. Examination Day. I didn't remember this the name of it, the, the this episode by name, but when I looked it back up, this episode is a motherfucker of an episode because the twist at the end is unbelievably cruel and it resonates very very strongly today. Because basically, it's all about, you know, it's, it's sometime in the future, and this kid is given this IQ test, and everyone's, like, really fretting whether he's going to pass this test or not. And he comes in, and he's like, yes, I did pass the test. But the problem was, he's too smart. So the government says, no, you can't be that smart in this society, so they have to fucking kill him. And it's just like, okay, well, if that doesn't have some fucking truth in, in today's society, I don't know what. You could easily do uh, that episode today. So I've got to go with Examination Day. Another vote for Examination Day. Barry. I'm going to make it quick for, for all of the reasons that Mike said. Uh, Perchance to Dream had some really terrifying images in it for somebody who, who, who has problems with dreams and that sort of thing. But talk about terrifying and, and what could happen in today's society. Examination Day seals it for me. Uh, vote for Examination Day and Mike Mike. Um, uh, was anybody else here born in 1968? Me. I was. Oh, you no. were? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you okay? Now you said you didn't watch uh, the Twilight Zone, the new Twilight Zone, so you you wouldn't understand, you wouldn't uh, remember this. Um, yeah, just to show you how insidious the the makers of the Twilight Zone uh, how they are, and, and again, like like has been said, uh, there's they're worrying about his scores on the test. They're worrying about his scores on the test. Everybody thinks, oh, you know, they're afraid that he's not smart enough, and at the end, he scores too well and and has to die. Um, what what you may not realize if you weren't like of a specific age when this came out, this was broadcast on November 1st, 1985. November 2nd, 1985 was the day of the SAT test. <laughs> now I spent November 1st kind of preparing for the test along with my friends and we skipped watching the twilight zone. And then we took the SATs after the SATs, we went back, popped in the, the VHS and this is the episode that aired. So they played this the day before the SATs. Um, and we were like, oh, that's a good thing we didn't watch this last night because then we would have been worried that we were going to score too high on our test. So that, I mean, I maybe it was a coincidence. I don't know. I think not. I think that just shows how clever and smart the makers of this show were to broadcast the perfect episode the day before what was really the biggest test for high school students uh, in, in the country that year. 
Uh, absolutely brilliant. And I have fond memories of the episode just for that reason, because it was just such a weird kind of meta mind fuck that, uh, that this was going on while I was studying for what would could have, could have be considered the most important test of my life. So it is definitely examination day. A vote for examination day. Examination day is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Pat, this one is yours. It is eye of the beholder versus nothing in the dark. Hmm. Well, uh, nothing in the dark. Uh, I didn't like uh, too well. It seemed to be a bit tedious. It's like, come on, let's just let's just go. Uh, Eye of the Beholder, though, is really a commentary on um, who decides in society what is cool, uh, what is pretty, uh, what is uh, what is good. Um, and I think that uh, it was a good reminder that uh, that uh, or a good message that everyone has to think about that. And I think that Eye of the Beholder should go. A vote for Eye of the Beholder. Michael. All right, I'm going to go ahead and say it, because if I can go to a convention and buy a, uh, a statue of the doctor from this episode, that means that Eye of the Beholder might rank as somewhat, I don't know, iconic. And uh, it deserves to go on because it's a brilliant commentary on the perception of beauty in our society and, you know, the, the idea that we never see. And it's brilliantly shot. That episode is amazingly well shot because it has to conceal so much from the audience and yet not clue them in at the same time. And so it's, it's, one, of those, it's one of those episodes where you're just like, man, they were really breaking some ground with this. Because at the end, when she's revealed, it's like, oh, she's beautiful. Then you see all the doctors and... You're horrified, but they're horrified at her because to them, she's ugly. So it was, it's, a, it's a wonderful episode. Nothing in the dark. I really wish it wasn't up against this. It's a very sweet and very interesting episode because, first of all, Robert Redford looks like he's about 20 years old in this. So that's, it's, it's an amazing. And he's playing Death, who's trying to convince this old woman to let go of her life. But there's not necessarily an evil undertone to it. It's, it's a very interesting and very, very cool episode, but I'm not going against Eye of the Beholder. Uh, for Eye of the Beholder, Barry. I, I put uh, Nothing in the Dark on there uh, because it was written by uh, George Clayton Johnson. And the idea of the uh, episode about embracing death and, and the, 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 how it delves into you fear what you don't understand... And George Clayton Johnson went on to write Logan's Run, which also explores this idea about embracing death and 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 and, and not fearing it, and and something that's just part of that particular society. But I have the Beholder. I've got to put that through. It just really was one of those that just makes you smack your forehead. Mike, uh, I'm glad I the Beholder is going on. It is iconic. Uh, again, this is one of the ones that people parody when they do parodies of the Twilight Zone. But I'm going to vote for Nothing in the Dark uh, just to talk about it a little bit. Um, it is a great episode. It's it, you know it, it's really interesting. Michael said it's kind of sweet, and it is. Although it's it's also scary because you, as you're following the character's arc, uh, her fear of death. Um, you know, makes Robert Redford a villain, but he doesn't play it that way. And it's not that way. And it really is about coming to terms with death. And that's, you know, the, the show's 
ability to kind of take real moral issues and wrap them in a science fiction context is really it did better than than any other show and i the beholder does that and it's a great commentary but this becomes less of a a kind of moral or political sort of thing and it's really just this meditation on accepting death and accepting that inevitability and seeing death as something else which is really it it's it's both sweet and haunting at the same time and it's a fantastic episode driven really by two performances um and a great performance by redford and again you know the twilight zone was the was maybe launching pad is the wrong word but certainly uh a a showcase for a lot of of great young talent that went on to become uh, enormously successful talent uh so i'm gonna vote for nothing in the dark uh, even though I'm glad I, the Beholder, is moving ahead, and I certainly would have voted for it if there was a tie or anything. But I, I think it deserves uh, enough respect and enough uh, attention to at least get the one or two votes here. A vote for Nothing in the Dark and Greg. Well, showcase is certainly the right word for it. I was listening as Mike was trying to find the descriptor for it because it gives actors, especially at the time young actors, an almost zero risk, no consequences chance to stretch out and do their thing because it's not a series. You don't have to necessarily come back week after week with the same character. And the budgets tended to be smaller. That's why you have a lot of two-character sort of uh, teleplays. But I'm going to go with Eye of the Beholder uh, partly because I just can't resist the I just can't resist the moral. And Eye of the Beholder is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Michael, this one is yours. It is Monsters Are Due on Maple Street versus One for the Angels. One for the Angels is interesting because it, it, that one you could put right on the shelf next to Nothing in the Dark. It's also about death coming to claim a soul. In this one, there's more of a bargaining thing going on between Ed Wynn, who's this, this old salesman, and Murray Hamilton, who was the mayor from Jaws. He's playing death. But the, the twist at the end is that death is not there to take him to hell. He's actually there to take him to heaven. He, he, was, he was there to do a good thing. But death has to be canny. He can't, he can't give you all the information. It's, it's a very, very cool and very unique episode. Um, however, it's up against my favorite episode. Uh, and it's also the type of story that I think is probably one of the greatest strengths of Twilight Zone. Monsters Are Due on Maple Street is all about... There's no monsters. There's, there's no actual monsters in the episode. It's all about watching human behavior and watching how suspicion, paranoia, and every kind of negative thing that could happen to what you think would be normal suburbia just take its course and turn neighbor against neighbor. And it is a fat. And this is one of those ones you show in a psychology class because all this shit that we're holding on to is so tenuous anyway. All it takes is one little thing to happen that we can't wrap our heads around, and we become the monsters. We become the savages that we were just, you know, some time back, not too long in our evolution. And Monsters Who Do on Maple Street is just, it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's one of those episodes that I can revisit every time and see something new in it. And I, uh, yeah, so love you one for the angels, but Monsters Who Do on Maple Street. Uh, vote for Monsters Are Due, Barry. In one for the angels, I, I like this idea of the person who's opposing death doing what he's good at as far as trying to, in essence, bargain for his own life. In this case, make a sales pitch. And we've had other instances of the knight playing chess with death and uh, 
and uh, all the way to uh, you know Bill and Ted uh, playing Twister with death. So that's an interesting idea and done very well here of bargaining with death by doing what you're good at. But Monsters on Maple Street is just a juggernaut, and I'm going to vote for Monsters for all the obvious reasons. Uh, vote for Monsters. Mike? Uh, again, this is like the last one. This is two two great episodes, one iconic um, and one big picture, you know, what the Twilight Zone's really about and one that's very small. And I love One for the Angels. It's one of those personal favorites. Uh, I put it on this list. Um, it's it's like it's been mentioned. It's the story of a pitch man. Uh, death comes to take him. But uh, the, the exemptions that you can use to get out of being taken is if you have to you have some unfinished business and his unfinished business is he hasn't had that killer sale. He hasn't had that pitch for the angels um, and death agrees, but he has to take someone. So he's going to take this little girl that uh, lives in his building and he has to take the little girl by midnight and she's got a fever and she's sick and she's dying and he distracts death with a killer sales pitch. And so death doesn't take the little girl, but because he literally made a pitch for the angels and saved the little girl's life, he accomplished his task and death takes him. So it's a great, you know, they're a great kind of spin and it's a great sort of uh, morality tale and all that. And, and honestly, maybe even a couple years ago, I would have voted for it uh, just to, to give it some attention. But monsters are due on Maple Street. Uh, the idea that all you have to do is give us just a hint of a reason to turn on each other. And to invent our own villains and create our own enemies when there are none um, is so uh, applicable and poignant today, uh, especially you know in a day when we're at a time when we're in the midst of a, of a rather vicious uh, political election cycle. Um, the the politics and the meaning and the morality of that particular episode uh, are just kind of too important to even just throw a vote to the other one just to give it some love. I think that the message of that episode is probably stronger now than it was then. Uh, and for that alone, I honestly, I think it deserves a clean sweep and I, I hope, I hope uh, whoever follows me agrees. A vote for monsters are due Greg. Because there's certainly going to be more to say about monsters are due in the next round. I'll just chime in with, yeah, not just in the, the nastiness of the political season and how quickly we turn on each other there, but even in the world stage, how, how vulnerable it feels that it is so easy for one person to draw a cartoon and, and set part of the world on fire that uh, the episode, you know, the monsters are doing on Maple Street tells the story inside a, you know, an enclosed ship of fools kind of scenario in, in one little neighborhood. But now we have the ability to turn on each other halfway across the world. And, uh, and monsters is, is a, Frankly, a show that I'd like to—I'd love to see the entire world stop and watch tonight. Monsters. Another vote for monsters are due. Pat, is it a clean sweep? I think it's going to be. I love both of these episodes. Um, the uh, one for the angels again is a very sweet episode, very nice. However, the monsters do on Maple Street. Uh, you can equate it to uh, the world situations, but even on a more personal level, when you work for, say, a company where there are layoffs and um, nobody knows who is going to lay off, who, who is putting themselves in a position to 
uh, prevent themselves from being laid off, who's going to make who a scapegoat. Uh, I think that uh, the Munsters on Maple Street uh, really does address um, the darker side of the human condition that is very easy to tap into. I think that Munsters should be a clean sweep. And Monsters are due on Maple Street. Clean sweep. We are on to our next fight. Barry, this one is yours. It is a thing about machines versus two. And a thing about machines, that's, that's pretty relevant for today because you've got an old man who is just angry at technology and, and fears it and lashes out at it and ultimately it turns on him. And the vision of the electric razor chasing him down the stairs still you know, scares the shit out of me. But two is a personal favorite of mine. I'm not sure if it gets a lot of love as far as the best episode when people make lists. But when Twilight Zone was being made and in the 50s, the idea of nuclear war forefront in everybody's mind, uh, uh, certainly all the, all the, 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 the bomb threat, the, the bomb shelters and the, and the drills and things like that. And, and taking this from the point of view of two survivors after the nuclear war, it's over and done with, and just seeing in a 22-minute show, watching their characters evolve from combatants who were the final two combatants, we have to end this, to know it's over, we've got to go away and, and do something. And, and, and the fact that it's Elizabeth Montgomery looking very, very beautiful also does it for me, too. So I'm going to vote for two. A uh, vote for two, Mike. Uh, two is a great episode, and another one that uh, that uh, show, again showcases uh, people who go on to to much much bigger things. Um, prior to doing research uh, on this, and I did wind up looking up all of the episodes as kind of a refresher. Uh, most of them I don't really know by name, so I had to read the synopsis to remember. And to be honest with you, I still don't remember. Um, a thing about machines particularly well, and and two I do remember very well, and uh, and I liked very much. But I'm still going to vote for a thing about machines because as I read the synopsis, I realized, like like uh, has been said, uh, this again, this is more applicable now than it was then. I mean, this is uh, kind of man against uh, machine, and and just to see that the Twilight Zone. Uh, you know, now, you know, two fights in a row has given us episodes that, that not only remain, uh, meaningful, uh, however many years later, but actually become more meaningful. How many TV shows do that? Um, and because, uh, this is a continuing part of my sucking up to our future machine overlords. So <laughs> a thing about machines, uh, a vote for a thing about machines, uh, Greg, well, for the record, I've got nothing against the machines part, so our future machine overlords should, should hear that and know that. Uh, I think the interesting thing, a couple interesting things on this one, I've been watching a lot of Twilight Zone lately because my assumption was that I would remember all of the old episodes. It was just a matter of watching enough to kind of refresh my memory. So sort of doing um, on Netflix the same kind of thing Mike was talking about doing you know, through reading, and I had never seen two before. I have no recollection of it whatsoever. And I was I was pretty much blown away, and the thing that jumped out at me about a time against a, you know the thing about machines was the acting style 
I'm not going to call it overacting. I don't want to diss anybody because I think it's just compared to the rest of the quality of acting that I saw in episodes the last few days. I think that there's a very 50s kind of style, a 50s TV style of acting going on in that episode. And it's a huge contrast to what I would describe as the uh, foreshadowing the late 60s and 70s style of acting that we got from Charles Bronson and Elizabeth Montgomery in two. So my vote's for two. A vote for two. Uh, Pat? Um, I put a thing about machines on here, but ironically, when the very first time I saw a thing about machines when I was much younger, I really thought the episode sucked. I thought it was one of the worst episodes. But as I get older and uh, I'm working in the tech field, that I see um, uh, people's reactions, especially the elderly and such, their reactions to the new technology. Uh, Think about machines pretty much, I think, captured what actually goes on inside their heads. So I think that um, I think about machines really does uh, capture uh, something that um, uh, that's uh, that it, that affects um, that. Uh, I'll, I'll go for a thing about machines. A vote for a thing about machines. It is all tied up. It comes down to you, Michael. Which one takes the win? The thing about a thing about machines for me is I I. When I went back to look at this, I had forgotten about this episode, but I remember this episode very well because when I was in junior high school, I was so deep into the Twilight Zone. I had this wonderful book. I, I think it's still in print, The Twilight Zone Companion by Mark Scott Secree, which I still think has a, sets the standard for all TV retrospective episode guide books. And I, would, I read that thing from cover to cover. And I caught up with this episode back then, and great idea and i love the first half of it but the minute the electric razor tries to kill him and then the the car comes to life it took what i thought was going to be a much more subtle and much more interesting episode and turned it into kind of a dumb monster show i didn't really i, I to me it didn't end very well it was it showed a lot of promise and it got kind of silly and I don't, there's no chance this episode's ever going to go really much further than this i'm casting my vote for two it's not one of my favorite episodes, but it's a hell of a lot more ambitious, and I think it establishes a much more interesting tone, and it's very indicative of the time in which it was made. And it's, it's, it's very much a performance piece between two people, you know, a, a pre-bewitched Elizabeth Montgomery, and it proves my point that no matter how far back you go with Charles Bronson, the motherfucker still looks at least 40 years old. There are no... Ep- there's never been anything I've ever seen of Charles Bronson where he actually looked 20 or 30. The man's face has always looked like a leather saddlebag. It's just a matter of how old that saddlebag has been around. Um, so I'm going to go with two. A uh, vote for two, and two is moving on. I would on. like to remind the computers that we are all speaking through right now <laughs> that I voted for a thing about machines. <laughs> uh, I don't think they need to be reminded. As a matter of fact, that's an insult to machines to say that they wouldn't remember that you already said that. Yeah, Mike, what's your problem? What's your problem? What's your problem? No, machines don't think like that. Okay. I'm just saying. But we are on to our next fight. Mike, this one is yours. It's an unknown fight. It is the 30 Fathom Grave versus my pick. And I don't remember why I put it on here. I read the synopsis and I've forgotten the synopsis. So hopefully somebody else remembers. (laughs) It is the Hitchhiker. Which I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it's the one where uh, she there's a hitchhiker on the side of the road that wants to be picked up, and she 
doesn't want to pick him up and she drives on and he just keeps popping up and she keeps going in a loop. Uh, hmm, this is funny because I, I really don't. Uh, the 30 Fathom Grave did not uh, ring a bell reading the synopsis. Uh, I know I've seen The Hitchhiker. I don't know if it uh, necessarily registered as, as one of my favorites. Um, uh, I, uh, I would prefer to just vote again for a thing about machines. Um, but, uh, I will vote for the hitchhiker. A vote for the hitchhiker. Greg. I think I'm going to have to go with the, um, with the 30 fathom grave. And I don't have a recollection in my head. I can't call this episode up to mind from when I saw it last, but from reading the synopsis, it reminds me a lot of, of things that Serling would return to later uh, in Night Gallery with one of the Titanic-type episodes and all that. It, it sounds like it's my cup of tea. So the 30 Fathom Grave. A vote for the 30 Fathom Grave. Uh, Pat? The 30 Fathom Grave is really uh, two main things. First is it is a, a great ghost story. Here's this, this ship. And they find this this sunken submarine, and something is banging to warn them or to send them a signal. Uh, and the other thing is that it is like uh, a soldier's guilt personified. It's sort of um, here is the sailor who, by chance uh, or, or or bad luck, um, survives the sinking of the submarine, and. Um, and now feels that all that the uh, the sailors on the submarine are calling him back. Uh, it's sort of uh, so. I'm going to go for uh, thirty fathom grave. Another vote for the thirty fathom grave, Michael. Uh, yeah, you know, I was torn on this one. The Hitchhiker is yet another one, and and Twilight Zone did have a habit of sort of riffing on the same theme a few too many times. The Hitchhiker is once again. Uh, a story about death coming for someone. Uh, it, it's very well done, and I, I do like the actor who played the hitchhiker uh, had a very creepy phrase, something along the I believe you're going my way, or something to that effect. And it was it was very creepy and very unsettling, but it, again, it's a woman who was not a fr- who's experiencing the last few minutes of her life. She doesn't realize death is foreign, and she comes to grips with it at the end. The problem with 30 Fathom Grave for me is I barely remember this episode. But I do remember, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, whoever put us on this list, there, it's it, the hammer thing. When, when we just hear the hammer, and later on, they, they say, oh, there was a guy there holding a hammer in his hand. And so now you realize, kind of come full circle. And I'm a, I'm a sucker for uh submarine stories and underwater ghost stories that sort of thing so i'm going to go with 30 fathom grave just it, just because i think it's probably a more ambitious and a more unique episode a vote for the 30 fathom grave and barry one of the things about watching the twilight zone particularly the first time is that you get to and you're not spoiled is you get to experience the reaction of the twist when it happens like in the hitchhiker when when the woman calls home and finds out that she, in fact, did die in, in the crash, that is just really one of the neat things about not being spoiled and having the twist just, bam, just hit you like a ton of bricks. But the 30, 30 Fathom Grave really is a creepy, scary story and, and very well told, I thought. 
and it's got one of my favorite character actors in it, Simon Oakland. So I'm going to vote for the 30 Fathom Grave. And 30 Fathom Grave is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Greg, this one is yours. It is to serve man. I've never heard of that episode versus the hunt. (laughs) Iconic. Yeah, iconic. I would have I would have bet more cash than I care to admit that to serve man was going to move through here from and with my vote because I didn't recognize the synopsis for the hunt. And so just tonight with a few extra minutes I jumped in because the synopsis I was reading was spoiler free. So it didn't get anywhere near the actual heart of the story. I, I it you know it told me that he was he was dead on a hunting trip and no one could see or hear him. But to me the real the real thing I love about the hunt and when I saw it I recognized it immediately knew where it was heading was uh, his uh, walk down the road of eternity and his encounter with two gateways, and one of them being Satan, who's, uh, he doesn't know it, but has a, a big sales pitch about what a great you know, place it is, and he's got heaven on the other side of his gate, and it's the dog that ends up saving him, because uh, you can fool a man, you can lead a, a man with eyes wide open straight through the gates of hell, but, you, but even Satan can't fool a dog. So, surprising even to myself, I'm going to vote for the hunt. A vote for the hunt, Pat. Um, to serve man, I think for me is a little bit too um, iconic. So I think I'm going to vote for the hunt. It's a very uh, poignant, um, uh, poignant episode. I, I just uh, uh, enjoy enjoy that episode. The hunt. Where's the fucking bell? Yeah, that's what I was waiting for. Because Mike doesn't have it's on his iPhone and he I, doesn't have it ready. I even paused. I know. I know. Uh, maybe maybe Alan will put it in post. <laughs> we we're, we're owed like three iconic bells here. Mike, can you can you make that happen real quick? Well, I guess he died. Uh, Michael, what is your vote? Um, Actually, I, I was muted and hitting the bell, going, "What the fuck is wrong with you people?" <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. Anyway. Um, the Hunt is a really good episode. It is, it's, uh, it's one that I, and I really love the performances in that one, especially the, uh, the old man, um, uh, I forget what his name was, Hyder or something like that, but he, he was great. And I, I, I love the idea that the dog, you know, the devil cannot fool the dog. I thought that was really clever, but there's a reason that to serve man is iconic. Um, it is a it is a beautiful twist on the idea that here come the aliens. They're here to help us. We're into a new age. Oh, by the way, no, fuck you. They just want to eat us. And I just think we just willingly go to our own slaughter. And it's only too late that we realize how bad this has gotten. So, you know, it's a cookbook. It's a cookbook has become a, a recognizable phrase for a reason. Is it the strongest episode from the show at the end of the day? No. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna vote against to serve man in the first round. A vote to serve man. Barry. Well, I could certainly uh throw things in a tizzy here and cast the deciding vote for the hunt, which I did put on the list because it's one of my favorites. And being brought up as uh, somebody who went to Sunday school and church every day, just to turn this whole idea on the end of me being brought up of that, well. In essence, the choice is made before you die if whatever you believe at the time you die determines whether you're going to go to heaven or hell. 
And I just like this idea of after you die, no, it's not. You walking on the road and you get a chance to make your decision with the pitch from Satan and the and the whether or not he can trick you into going to hell or not, and and the dog in essence being the hero in here. But I I can't vote to serve, man. That would be like I don't know, Mr. Spock not making out of the, out of the first round of the best Star Trek character. And and there there's a reason why it's parodied so much because the, the idea of, of, of like Michael said of humans willingly like cattle getting into the pen and getting on the cattle truck and going down to the feedlot is just just it's scary and hilarious at the same time knowing what we as people are. So I'm going to vote for to serve man. A vote for to serve man. It is all tied up. It comes down to you, Mike. Which one takes the win? Uh, this, you know, it, it's funny. Part of me do, does actually want to vote for the hunt because I do love the episode, um, and uh, even just just the idea that he he doesn't want to go into uh, what he thinks is heaven because he can't take his dog and because there's no raccoon hunting and you know just this idea that that you know for him it's not paradise if he can't have his dog. Um, so and I wanted to vote for it because it's a, it it is a great episode and is one of those personal favorites and underrated ones. But uh, I'm not going to be the one who puts to serve man out in the first round. No way. <laughs> you had the same problem I did. <laughs> I was like I can't do it. And, and you know, as much man. as I love the idea of like putting out big guns early, like not this one. No, you can't. It's hard. Even it's though like I the- almost held V against it. Is it, but isn't this where, uh, what is it, Kodos and Kang come from on The Simpsons? Yeah, when they, pretty much. When they, oh, when they parodied man. them, this episode? So, yeah, to serve man. Well, much, much as we have to uh, explain to our computers while we voted against them on a thing about machines, I'm going to have to uh, give my dog an extra treat because I voted against the dog for the hunt. So, No, you won't. Your dog doesn't know. Yeah, but when the aliens invade, they'll be happy that uh, you voted for to serve man. And then that's you, true and then they will eat you and enjoy it yes. uh, we're on to our next fight uh pat this one is yours it is a small talent for war from 1985 versus the bewitching pool um the bewitching pool seems like one of those um uh stories that you would use to warn your kids to not uh, to stay away from strangers it just it has a creepy feel to it like kids don't go don't don't do that um However, A Small Town for War is a great episode. In fact, every time that I read anything about European history, this episode comes to mind. I think this, it, um, so I'm going to go for A Small Town for War. A vote for A Small Talent for War, Michael. Yeah, I, I like um, A Small Talent for War as well. It's not my favorite episode of the new Twilight Zone uh, show. Uh, but it's it's actually in in many ways it feels very similar to Serve Man. Actually, um, it's the same kind of thing. A race comes to Earth looking for something, and we don't really realize what they're here for. And John Glover, uh, who's the alien ambassador, and he's he's one of my favorite actors. I could watch him in anything. So I would I would vote for that one. But the reason I'm going to vote for the Bewitching Pool is not because I think it's a better episode. But it's the it's a type of episode that the original Twilight Zone did very very well, which is basically a very care. It's, it's not there's nothing particularly sinister about it, and there's nothing particularly special about it in terms of any like you know, huge twist at the end. It's really uh, just about 
a human. It's about the human condition. It's about it's a human parable, and about how these kids, you know, don't neglect your kids, or they're just going to say fuck you and go off and live. They'd rather live a fantasy life with someone who's either not real or perhaps has a sinister motive. We don't know. And uh, you know, it, it, I just I don't know. There's something about that episode that, that kind of speaks to me a little bit stronger than a small talent for war. Although, like I said, I I do like small talent very much. A vote for the bewitching pool, Barry. I mentioned before about the pleasure in watching Twilight Zone of not being spoiled and having the twist hit you. Well, A Small Talent for War has got one hell of a twist. And when that one hit me, just again, just went, oh, my God. And not a vote against the bewitching pool because it's, it's a good, sweet episode and, and and it resonates with the, the kid in you that just wants to go away to some magical place and, and be with friends and play ball and that sort of thing. But again, I'm going to vote for a small talent for war. Uh, vote for a small talent for war. Mike? Yeah, I'm also going to vote for a small talent for war. Um, uh, as has been mentioned, it's got Lionel Luther and he was awesome. Uh, it is uh, a strange... Uh, parallel to uh, to serve man in, in very in very strange ways and and pretty much uh, Barry nailed it. Uh, most all all of the old Twilight Zones uh, I saw originally when I was a kid. So when you're a kid, you you don't understand storytelling as well. You don't understand narrative as well. You don't understand kind of human nature as well. So it's not that hard to really kind of pull a Twilight Zone twist on you. Um, but by the time the new Twilight Zone rolls around, uh, I'm you know technically an adult or damn near being an adult. Uh, I'm familiar with the fact that the Twilight Zone is going to give you a twist. That's where the, that's kind of its, its MO. I mean, they're called a Twilight Zone ending for a reason. And still, this one completely suckered me. I was almost angry that I didn't see it coming. And when I watch it now... It's telegraphed. It's kind of like, how did I not see it? I knew I should be looking for it. Uh, it's it. Of course, it's the opposite. It's always the opposite. And still, somehow, it managed to sucker me. So for that alone, to be able to really do that to someone who thought he could, he was smarter than the Twilight Zone by that point, uh, I'm going to give it to a small talent for war. A vote for a small talent for war and Greg. I'm going to also cast a vote for a small talent for war because of the intriguing next round matchup with to serve man. Seems like there'll be a good parallel and maybe some contrast there. A small talent for war is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Michael, this one is yours. It is Nick of time versus walking distance. Shatner, Nick of time. <laughs> uh, vote for Nick of time. Barry. Um, walking distance is another one. As Michael mentioned before, there's a recurring theme of, of death and, and, and people talking to death and that sort of thing. And walking distance, I think, uh, does this uh, uh, theme of looking for a simpler place when the pressures of the real world get to you and just wish that you could go back home again and, and relive those days. But Nick of Time, in addition to having Shatner, it was written by Richard Matheson, who was one of my very favorite writers. He did that, that scary as shit little doll story from Trilogy of Terror. 
He was the one that I think started the original Night Stalker with the Darren McGavin. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe he wrote Duel, which uh, was Steven Spielberg's first film that he directed. And yes. Nick of Time, I think, is a worthy candidate to go forward. A vote for Nick of Time. Mike? Uh, as much as I continually sing the praises of William Shatner, uh, I will have a chance to sing his praises again shortly. Um, and I'm going to vote for Walking Distance. Uh, this one actually used to get confused with Willoughby a lot. Um, but I like this one more, even though I like that one a lot too. Uh, because of this idea of him uh, basically facing his own younger self. And and this idea, this premise uh, is kind of intriguing. And, and you know, maybe like... Uh, like was said earlier, as you get older, you know, the idea of these types of things become more, more interesting to you. Um, and I've actually kind of, you know, done something like this where I've gone back to uh, places that, uh, that I went when I was young. Uh, I don't know if I mean, maybe part of it's trying to recapture that, part of it's trying to see if it stirs memories, part of it's trying to find something in yourself. Um, and, and I think it's such an interesting and, and poignant message. Um, I love Shatner and I think that's a, the, the, uh, nick of time is a great, great twilight zone and it's, it's, you know, scary and paranoid and all of these things, but, uh, walking distance is just, I don't know, for me, it's a little bit more meaningful. A uh, vote for walking distance, Greg. Uh, you know, interestingly, we talked a lot about the twist in the last fight, but these are two episodes going against each other where there really isn't that much of a twist. Uh, in some ways, uh, for Nick of Time, I was expecting a bigger twist than I got. And Walking Distance is a simple story so simply told. It reminds me of an essay that uh, Harrison Solo, the, the wife of original series Star Trek showrunner Herb Solo, wrote uh, on this exact same theme of of writing an essay to her 16-year-old self, what, what would she say and how would she expect it to be received? I just don't know that in the Twilight Zone format, there was enough time for them to do much more with it. And uh, Nick of Time, I think, used that 25 minutes pretty much to the fullest. There wasn't a need for anything more. And uh, I'll give it to that just for, for a good, solid execution of a simple, twist-free story. Shatner. And uh, um, actually, I'd like to change my vote back to walking distance. Ooh, you're changing your vote to walking distance. Tie yes, I am. Tying it up is all mm. tied up. Comes down to you there, Pat. Which one takes the win? Mm, yeah, it. Um, uh, I like the shat in the nick of time. Uh, one thing I like about the nick of time is the way that you can take, uh, depending on how you view things, you can take magic eight ball answers and. Uh, think that there are, are actually a premonition of of the future. Uh, that's that's uh, and it was that was done rather cleverly. Um, however, the walk, walking distance uh, is a much uh, a much better story. I like the idea that uh, everyone always wants to go back and see if uh, if they had a chance to go back and warn themselves, or or maybe they could do something to make things just slightly better. Um, but in the end, if you were to do that, all you would do is just mess it up because uh, you turn out the way you are because because of all the good and bad that's happened to you. So I'm going to go for walking distance. A uh, vote for walking distance. And walk I'm distance. I'm going to change my vote. 
What, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Changing fucking central. <laughs> There's a reason. I know the reason. Oh, I, I can yes. see it on the brackets. Oh. But Nick of Time is moving on is now. Nick of Time moving on, okay. And we're on to our next fight. Barry, this one is yours. It is versus, uh, it's the Vade and the Invaders versus Iconic. I'm not going to say the, <laughs> the, the, there we go. <laughs> Terror at 20,000 feet. It's actually Nightmare at 20,000 feet. Is it? Yeah, yeah what's, it is. This, what's yeah. this Terror shit? Who the fuck wrote that? It's alliteration. Me. Uh, Barry, that's all you. You didn't, you didn't die, did you, Barry? Oh my god, his dog ate him. Too much Shatner. No, I was just muted. Um, again, we've got two Richard Matheson stories here. Uh, Terror at 20,000 feet, again, being a, a, uh, a, a, the I-word uh, Twilight Zone uh, with Shatner in it. But we all forget that the much more uh, enjoyable Shatner airplane in terror vehicle of the horror at 37,000 feet which uh, also had Shatner at his best. Um, but I'm going to vote for the Invaders because this is an episode that has virtually no dialogue. It's told just basically, you know, a, a point of view of just acting with, 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 the, with the old lady. Is it, is it Alice Ghostly, I think, that plays the lady? It's Agnes, uh, Agnes Moorhead. From Agnes Moorhead, okay. Sorry about that. But, but just, just the way that she creates the 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 the, the terror of, of these of, of being menaced by by the by the, the the invaders who at the twist we find out are really uh, the good old US of A. Um, I, I'm gonna vote for the invaders. A vote for the invaders, Mike. Uh, yeah, I, f- I feel sorry for the invaders. It's a great, great episode. Scary and chilling and uh, an amazing example of what you can do with uh, with really with, without talking, um, but it stands in the way of Shatner versus Shatner, and it cannot stand. Um, I'll talk about Nightmare twenty thousand feet more in the next round because uh, it it it's got to move on. A vote for na- Nightmare at twenty thousand feet, uh, Greg. Yeah, this is almost a tangent. It doesn't really connect to the argument I'm going to make, but for years and years, uh, when I heard people talk about the classic 50s star Ava Gardner and Frank Sinatra falling in love with her and her being so glamorous and all that, in my head, I, I somehow mixed up the names Ava Gardner and Agnes Moorhead, and I couldn't really understand why she, uh, Frank Sinatra would fall and fall hard for Agnes Moorhead. And... Um, Really, until I saw this episode of uh, of the Twilight Zone, probably seventies, early eighties, on rerun. I don't think I caught it, you know, in the sixties. I didn't really appreciate Agnes Moorhead. The only time we really saw her was kind of hamming it up on Bewitched, and yeah, she's she's outstanding. I like tend to like most of the one character uh, episodes a lot, but you know, there's something on the wing here, and I've got to I've got to go with uh, I've got to go with that one. Nightmare at twenty thousand. A nightmare at twenty thousand feet. Uh, Pat, I, I, I can't. I understand. I'm not going to get in the way of doing a chat versus chats. I'm going to go for a nightmare at twenty thousand feet. You could have gotten away. You could have gotten the way of it. It would have been great. <laughs> uh, Michael, I think more people should have gotten in the way. Um, <laughs> no, honestly, look, I, I look, I, I love nightmare at twenty thousand feet. 
Great episode. Shatner rules. Blah, 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 blah. Um, personally, I think Lithgow did a better job in the Twilight Zone, the movie. I think the, the remake. You know, they, they to did be in the technical, movie. you could be voting for that, too. This doesn't specify. Yeah, it's the same name. Yeah, well, uh, great. But I still think, and it led to a great geek moment when they both appeared on uh, Third Rock from the Sun and Shatner's getting off an airplane and and he says, I saw something on the wing. And Lithgow goes, me too. So it was a great, that was a great little geek reference moment. I don't, look, the invaders I put on the list, I think I did, I think I put the invaders on the list. The invaders for me was one of the most, the scariest fucking half hours I ever saw on television. Because you don't know what the hell's going on. All you know is that this poor woman is being chased by these things, and they show up everywhere. She can't get away from them. And it is a, a fucking just incredibly tense 30 minutes that with the episode, the, the ending where it's revealed these little guys are actually, she's actually an alien on some foreign planet, and we're the poor fuckers that landed on this planet trying to figure out what the hell we're doing is a great twist, but every, it, it's one of those episodes where the twist is just the icing on the cake. Even if you've taken that twist away, the episode is still a fucking knockout. Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, the episode which I rewatched recently, it doesn't really hold up as well. I don't think it's as well done as everyone seems to remember it being. And I know it's an iconic Shatner thing, but, you know, I just... Uh, no, I, I, I know it doesn't matter, and it doesn't. You know, we're going to do the Shatner versus Shatner thing because we're geeks, and that's all we're all we're able to do. But I'm, I'm voting for the Invaders. A vote for the Invaders. Uh, nobody's changing their vote. Nightmare at twenty thousand feet is moving on. It's Shatner versus Shatner, Shatner versus Shatner. In the next round, we are on to our next fight, Mister Ortiz. This one is yours. It is the passerby versus a pool a game of pool. Uh, this is a this is a, a this is a really tough one. I actually do. Uh, I, I I love uh, a game of pool. Um, Jack Klugman uh, did some of my favorite uh, Twilight Zones, um, and uh, it it's meaningful. Um, you know this idea. I mean, it's almost like the, the kind of gunslinger that w- when you're the best, you have to defend your title even into death uh, until somebody beats you. I mean, this weird. Uh, almost curse of being the best, um, but I'm gonna vote for. <laughs> I'm gonna vote for the passerby because it's got Abraham Lincoln in it. I'll vote for a passerby. The passerby. Um, Greg. Well, you know everything that Mike said, except uh, for me, the the tipping point is uh, back to a, a game of of pool. Um, both because of Klugman's performance, but also just because of, of that idea of saying, you know what, you really can't win the big hand, take your chips and go home. Um, you still have to play a few more hands, or in this case, uh, perhaps an eternity more. Oh, vote for a game of pool. Uh, Pat? Um, a game of pool is one of those uh, watch out for your wish, what you wish for. Um, I but I like the poignancy of the passersby. It's like she's there on her porch, and the soldiers just keep walking by, walking by, and um, it, um, and 
I, I just, I just, I just really like like the poignancy of that. And finally, of course, you find out everyone. It's like the um, the end of the Civil War, and so I think I'm going to go for the passersby. A vote for the passerby, Michael. In a way, I wish the passersby had come up earlier in this, because again, it's another episode where the character has to come to grips with the fact that this is the road to death. You have to accept your death. Everyone's dead. There's just death. And you're going to accept that you're going to die and that you're already dead. And yeah, okay, great. And this is very well done and has Lincoln and I like the Civil War setting and everything. But A Game of Fool was one of the best episodes of the original show, in my estimation, because it was was Jonathan Winters and Jack Klugman. And their interplay together. I'm I'm a sucker for pool stories. Also, I love that it because you, you can do some wonderful character moments in, in in that game. It lends itself to being very tense and very you know, funny, and yet very it can turn on a dime. Uh, pool stories like that, you know, anything with a pool shark, the stuff like the Hustler, and the, you know that sort of thing. So I'm 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 going to go with a, a game of pool, and also I'm also casting a vote. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure they remade this episode in the 80s yes, series. Yes, they did. And I th- as I recall, I enjoyed that one as well. So this, think, Did that one have was, Sherman Helmsley in it? I can't. I'm very, very vague. I cannot remember. I just remember seeing it twice. I just don't, I don't remember anything about the other one. I just remember it, they did it again. It, it was Isai Morales in the second one. Oh, okay. Well, in any case. Oh, yeah, Sherman Helmsley was, was in the Santa Claus one. Oh, that's right. That he was a Santa Claus. But anyway, um, uh, if it was good enough to do twice, there must be something to it. So, game pool. A vote for a game of pool. It is all tied up. It comes down to you, Barry. Which one takes the win? Well, um, as a geek, the passerby has got a triple threat of the Romulan commander from the old series, The Enterprise Incident, um, Inspector Luger from Barney Miller, and Space Lincoln. But I'm going to vote for a game of pool and further explain it in the next round. And uh, he, ain't no, he ain't no Space Lincoln. Uh, I almost mentioned Space Lincoln, but I moved on. <laughs> Four score. For me, they, they're, the only Lincoln is Space Lincoln. Uh, All Lincoln are Space Lincoln. Why does Space Lincoln sound more like Jefferson Davis than Space Lincoln? That's kind of puzzling. Uh, because he was born in Kentucky. Okay. <laughs> he was are, raised are, are in we, Southern are we, Illinois. Are we really discussing this? I'm just letting you know that... that Lincoln is more southern than people realize. Don't we have another thing to get to? And he was uh, yeah. he, he he was injured in a fight against vampires. Yeah, he was. <gasps> a game of pool Space is moving vampires. on, and we are on to our next fight. Uh, Greg, this one is yours. It is an occurrence at Al, at Owl Creek Bridge versus I Am the Night. Color me black. I remember seeing a, the uh, movie An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge uh, before I knew that it had been replayed on The Twilight Zone. So uh, I was kind of re- you know, refreshed my memory again the last couple of days and thought this might be a remake remake, but it really is just a re-edit of the French film. And well done. Another one of those stories that doesn't have much dialogue, doesn't need much dialogue. I don't like the music cues in it. So in some ways, the only real... Um, speaking parts in the episode are a little bit um, dated and cheesy. Halfway through watching the episode of uh, of I Am the Night, Color Me Black, I was fearing that it was going to get very preachy, and both of these are essentially um, anti-capital punishment films, um, anti-violence sort of films. 
but I really do like the the spoken dialogue and and the the way the storytelling is unfolds with a lot more uh, words than you typically see in a Twilight Zone episode. So I'll give it to uh, I am the night, color me black. I am the night, color me black. Uh, Michael, I don't know if I ever took an occurrence of how Great British to be an anti-war or a, uh, have any particular statement against. Violence per se. I mean, obviously, the man's about to be hanged, and he experiences in the last few seconds as he's falling a whole alternate reality where he escapes and gets to right back before he gets his wife, and then the the noose cinches up and kills him. Um, it's a great story, and I, I can see why Serling wanted to include it on this show, um, based on the old Ambrose Beer story. But I am the night color me black. No one ever talks about this episode, but. When I went back and looked at it, I was stunned that they were actually able to get away with a lot of the stuff in this episode. Because it's it's it is it's a very I mean it wears its heart on its sleeve, and there you can see a soapbox. I swear to God, a few times in the episode, but it's a very racially charged story. It has um, an immense amount of dialogue, a lot of interplay between the characters in it, and it's it's it came not long after John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And it was very much sort of a, hey, you know, we keep hating each other. Eventually, we're just going to poison the planet and we're going to be fucked. It's not, that's hardly a theme that doesn't still resonate today. So I'm going to, I'm going to get, it's not a perfect episode by any stretch, but I, I'm going to give it to, I am the night color me black. A vote to color me black. Barry? Uh, An occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge for being a, a little short 22-20 uh, minute film or whatever, it has some really incredible shots in there. It, it reminded me of, of, of something that you might see in a Sergio Leone film, just the, 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 the wide angles and, and the way that it was done. But I Am the Night, Color Me Black. Also, it, I saw this for the first time um, um, a couple of nights ago, and for some reason, I was just amazed that they... That they didn't go for the good ending, that that the something was going to happen and and was going to be redeemed, and the light comes back. No, it it doesn't. It goes in the dark place, and I like dark places, so I'm going to vote for I am the night. That's what she said. Mike, is it a clean sweep? Uh, it is, and I am I am flabbergasted by this. Um, I mean, occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge always tops these best of lists. Um, it is con- certainly considered to be one of the, the best. And, and, and Michael said it. The, nobody talks about I Am The Night Color Me Black. I put it on here. It's one of my favorite episodes. And I put it on here in this kind of like, well, I'm going to throw on some personal favorites so I can throw it a little bit of love because more people should pay attention to it. And I'm, I'm floored that it's getting this much love and, and, and overjoyed to see that other people appreciate what a great episode this is. So, uh, yeah, clean sweep. You know what the weird thing is? I think maybe with me, I don't know how everyone else feels about it. The reason I'm sort of leaning away from Occurrence of Owl Creek Bridge, it wasn't that real episode of the show. It was brought in. You know, I mean, not that it's not a brilliant short film, but um, maybe and it's maybe the fact that it's always considered one of the best episodes kind of worked against it. But uh, interesting that it went up against this particular one, I think. Yeah, I agree with you, Michael. That and the music cues. <laughs> Just didn't like the... Uh... The folk. Anyway, uh, I am the night. Color me Negro, or Negro. Sorry, that's that's Spanish for black. Um, 
is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Uh, Pat, this one is yours. One of my all-time favorite episodes, which is Living Doll versus The Encounter, which is the band episode. I know nothing of it. Uh, I went through the uh, the brackets with my uh, youngest daughter. She's a very big uh, Twilight Zone fan. And when it came down to it, Living Doll ended up being her favorite in the end. Um, I like the uh, um, uh, Living Doll is uh, a really good horror uh, episode of the Twilight Zone. Uh, I almost think of it as like it's like Chucky's mother. Uh, so I'm going to go for Living Doll. A vote for Living Doll. Michael. I don't know why the encounter was banned. And I don't remember if it was, was it banned originally or was it just pulled later or something? I don't remember. It was not included in the syndication package. Oh, okay. Um, it was because I, I, of some, some uh, racial issues. Well, yeah, I remember, as it, I remember, and it was George Takei plays a, uh, a Japanese American and then he goes to the house of a, um, a World War one or two veteran and there's some sort of i don't really remember much about that episode it was one that just kind of passed me by for some reason and one of the reasons it probably did is it didn't get in the syndication package so i never had much of a chance to see it um but it really wouldn't have mattered if this was a brilliant episode or not or one of the best ever fucking talky tina scared the shit out of me that doll is the creepiest fucking doll ever and the fact that the guy keeps getting madder and driven more insane by the I mean, Telly Savalas is it's my favorite Telly Savalas performance because he's just he's so pissed and angry at this fucking doll. And it and then the fact that that Talky Tina will just turn to him and go, my name is Talky Tina and I'm starting to hate you. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck me. That that one really, really screwed me up. So I'm I'm living doll all the way. Another vote for Living Doll, Barry. Uh, Twilight Zone gets a point here, and Living Doll goes ahead because of something that it didn't do that scared the shit out of me. In the episode, The Living Doll, when uh, Telly Savalas wakes up and he's, and he's in his bed, and the camera slowly pans back, I just knew that the doll was going to be like sitting on his bed, and every hair on my body stood on end. And when it didn't, it was like, oh my God, they, the fact that they made me think. That that yeah. was going to happen is just just a good mark of something that's scary, and I'm scared of dolls, and I'm going to vote for Living Doll. Another vote for Living Doll, Mike. Uh, point number one: uh, Living Doll is iconic. Point number Word. two: um, The Encounter uh, was pulled from syndication. I won't go into. That. I did. I did look it up and, and the the details. Um, so uh, I can honestly say I don't believe I've ever seen it. Um, I, I kind of wish I would because uh, it it does have George Takei, and, uh, and I do like George Takei a lot. But I have not seen it, and if I had seen it, I would still vote for The Living Doll. If for no other reason, and there are many reasons, but if there were no other reason, is ultimately, if it if it did not exist, we would not have had the classic Simpson line, well, that doll's set to evil. <laughs> so, Somebody uh, turned this switch this doll to evil. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's living doll all the way. A uh, vote for living doll. Greg, is it a clean sweep? 
No, I'll have lots to say about Living Doll, and it'll all be positive later, but I got to get a, a little bit of love to George Takei, and the uh, the episode is a nice, like, two-character sort of, uh, it could be a play, and the ending cops out just a little bit, in my opinion, by not having the uh, Takei character deal with the consequences of what goes down, but I still think... Um, I, st- I just like the fact that it's banned, I guess, is, is the appeal. I've seen it. It's not that controversial. So it tells you a little bit about the, the 1960s and early 70s that um, this was something that, you know, tipped the, uh, that frightened the syndicators away. The encounter. A, a vote for the encounter. But the living doll in Taki Tina is moving on, which is good, because if it didn't, it would kill you. Uh, <laughs> uh, and we're at our last fight of the first round uh, uh, a long first round as we knew it would be but hopefully the next couple are shorter uh, it's another unknown for me because I actually forgot to send out the email and then I was like oh shit I gotta figure out some unknowns uh, <laughs> Michael this one is yours it is where is everyone which is the first episode at least according to this versus will the real Martian stand up? That's when you uh, have a couple cops who go into a diner to try and figure out who a Martian is. At, well, who the alien is at a, 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 at a diner. I like that episode. Um, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that episode in a long time, which probably tells me everything I need to know. Um, it's a, it's a, that episode's funny. That's, that's a, a very, very funny, very, uh, cute episode in a way. It doesn't have as much of the. Uh, uh, it doesn't have any real, you know, dark, sinister moments to it that I recall, because it's got a lot of great character actors. But the one guy with Jack Elam, in particular, he has those wild eyes. If you remember from like the Cannonball Run movies, he was the doctor. I mean, so you can't take anything in that episode that seriously. I loved uh, Where Is Everybody because the twist in that episode didn't turn out to be something supernatural. It's basically one guy alone in a town. He can't find anybody. He's driving himself nuts. He wants to know where the hell everybody's gone. As it turns out, he's imagined the whole thing because he's losing his mind because he's in a sensory deprivation experiment as an astronaut to see if he can survive the trip to the moon without going insane. And it's a great idea. And it's Earl Holliman, who was the actor, does an amazing job of just slowly cranking up the insanity till at the very end, he's just he, they realize, you know, well, he's not the candidate. We're going to have to bring in somebody else. And it was the first episode of the show. So they got off to a good start. So where is everybody? Uh, vote for where is everybody? Barry. I, I like, will the real Martian please stand up? It, it's a, a sort of another study and in, in paranoia and, and that sort of thing. But, but I think that was done better in uh, Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. So I'm going to go ahead and give this to where is everyone? Where is everybody? Uh, it like you know first one right out of the box and this really really cool twist that that I didn't see coming. So I'm going to vote for where is everyone? Uh, vote for where is everyone, Mike? Uh, I am going to vote for uh, will the re- real Martian please stand up? Um, yeah, the the these themes were covered uh in, in in kind of their darker aspect um in uh, monsters are doing on maple street but you know we forget that the twilight zone in addition to being scary and creepy and meaningful also did have a lot of humor in it there were a lot of fun episodes um and and those have not gotten uh as much 
um, representation here, and certainly they don't make it on on the the lists of great episodes, and and that that's kind of too bad because you know most people will will attest that that comedy uh, is is much harder than than drama, uh, and this was a fun episode. It was a funny episode, um, and also I've always had a bit of a problem with where is everyone. Um, and, and it's, it's, it is because, you know, it's the first episode, uh, but what clearly obviously wasn't the first episode that I had seen. Um, I didn't see that twist coming because that's a very untwilight zone twist. Um, it is a grounded in reality thing. You know, it is all a dream. It is all a hallucination. And the twilight zone usually, at least after this, would always play a little bit more to the the mystical and the metaphysical. And that's really where, where the twilight zone lives for me. It lives in an area of the, the amazing and the impossible and the fantastic. And where is everyone could happen in our world. It's, it is just a sensory deprivation. It's, it's, it's too grounded. It's too real. And I think, uh, I think that, that if the show had continued with that, where episode after episode had real world uh, connections and explanations and, and manifestations, I don't think I don't think it would have it would have been a successful. What makes the Twilight Zone the Twilight Zone for me is the fact that it its trappings and its settings and all of the things about it are unreal, but its meaning and its message is very real. And uh, that split, that dichotomy, is the Twilight Zone, and unfortunately, it's not. Where is everyone? A vote for will the real Martian stand up? Uh, Greg. Yeah, I call that neo surrealism, where it, it isn't really a, it really isn't a true hallucination. It really isn't a dream per se. There's a driving explanation behind it, and it, it's something that I actually really, really enjoy. And the fact that it's not typical of the Twilight Zone would, would probably be a mark against it, except for this being the pilot, uh, essentially almost setting a standard that it would uh, rebel against throughout the series consistently and throw things off. And we get a chance to talk about uh, you know the, the monsters on Maple Street again. Uh, that's another one where I think it, I could have at any point believed that it was going to end very differently. And I think it's because of this first episode where you know that it's always possible that the Twilight Zone is going to end with two feet firmly on the ground and there not being a supernatural element involved that I think makes some of those supernatural elements uh, that would appear throughout the series more powerful. So, uh, the uh, where is everyone? A vote for where is everyone and Pat. Um, this is difficult. Uh, where is everyone does seem to be... Um, um, uh, a good Twilight Zone episode, as in um, the whole idea of uh, people on their own, um, everyone else is gone. Several episodes are like that. Uh, well, The Real Martian stand-up is a more enjoyable episode. It's just a, a good um, little side, uh, side path for The Twilight Zone to take, and it's nice to have that. So I'm going to go for Will The Real Martian Please Stand Up. A vote for the Will The Real Martian Please Stand Up, but where is everyone is moving on and we will be back right after this. Maybe this is going really long. <laughs> Twilight Zone has been brought to you by Crest. The toothpaste proved effective against cavities in year after year of clinical tests. 
tests among thousands of families in homes like yours. Twilight Zone, brought to you by Prell Concentrate. Concentrated. So just this much gives you lots of lather. Prell Concentrate. Twilight Zone, brought to you by Dual Filter Territon Cigarettes. The famous dual filter with activated charcoal brings through the great taste of Territon's fine tobacco. Twilight Zone is being brought to you tonight by Kimberly Clark, whose handy Kleenex paper products help you every day in so many ways. The Twilight Zone, brought to you tonight by the coffee with the best of the coffee bean. Aroma, flavor, but not caffeine. New Aroma Roast Sanka Coffee. Here's an item we forgot. You see this? It holds a promise for anyone who smokes. It's Oasis. And as its name implies, it promises you the most refreshing, the softest taste of all. Try Oasis. I think you'll like it. Hello, I'm Greg, host of a podcast called Inappropriate Conversations. The show is breaking down barriers about discussing politics, sex, and religion. Society says we should keep them separated. I say come out and play. You'll find Inappropriate Conversations on iTunes, in the politics section, or at inappropriateconversations.podbean.com. Thanks for listening. Music by Kevin McLeod. Hi, I'm Ron from Star Trek Federation, and you're listening to Geek Fights. Taking it down. The rain washed most of it away. Anyway. What? Uh, <laughs> Michael, tell you. that I have outdoor plumbing. No, no, no. Uh, some of you will hear this story another time, and and Mike will probably tell you tomorrow if you guys are going to lunch. Okay, I don't well, know. If I, I really don't know if I want to know the story. Not at lunch. Yeah, uh, you know what? I'll tell you after the episode. Not at Del Taco. No, definitely not at Del Taco. But oh God, we are back doing what we do every single week, coming at you with Jared Formby, trademark geeky cred. And we're going to start with you there, Pat. Pat McCartney, ah, what hey. is your geek cred? Well, uh, uh, other than just working in the uh, all that all the high tech stuff, uh, um, I've raised my two kids to be geeks. One became geeks, and one didn't. Uh, what I've done is I've like proof my Star Trek uh, Next Generation uh, uh, DVDs into character arcs and watched all the character arcs with each of the kids. Um, uh, when I was younger, I made myself a Tom Baker scarf, and um, I have another geek cred, but I have not gotten my wife's okay to say that yet, so I can't say that one. The hell? All right, that's perfectly fine. Barry, sir, what is your geek cred? Um, big science fiction fan, Star Wars, Star Trek, the 70s uh, movies like Rollerball and Clockwork Orange. And there's a wall hanging in my house. I have a bat left. Rock and roll. Yeah, Soldier Soldier is just a year away. It's 2013 at the beginning of this movie. Um, Greg, <laughs> what is your geek cred? Yeah, one of the things that I do on, on 
the podcast that I record is a lot of nostalgia. I'm all about nostalgia. And one of the things that I love the most about television from the 60s and 70s in particular are anthology shows. And I, I look at Twilight Zone as being really a crucial step there. Not the first. Uh, Dead of Night was a film that came out before it that you know, maybe set the standard for it. But things that I really enjoy, like the Ghost Story, Circle of Fear series, uh, Night Gallery, uh, Hammer and Amicus sort of anthology horror films where there's three or four stories in one, Matheson's Trilogy of Terror, all that stuff, I think, would not have had the traction that it did. may not have even been made if it weren't for The Twilight Zone. So, uh, uh, to me, this is tapping right into one of my favorite geekdoms. Inappropriate Conversation. Yeah, www.inappropriateconversations.org just recorded the 100th episode. It's a kind of a look back on how I even got to the internet, much less to podcasting, and includes shout-outs to Geek Fights and other shows along the way that uh, I've been blessed to be a part of. Rock and or roll! And the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Michael Felsher. What is your geek cred? I certainly do like cheese. Dinosaur. All right. Let's get right back into the fight. Uh, Barry, this one is yours. It is five characters in search of an exit versus Shattered A. Um, I want to, uh, looking at the bracket, I think I want uh, to uh, give some love to the 1985 uh, Twilight Zone episode Shattered A. Uh, not only to, to see that it moves further, but Shattered Day was really was a good episode, and and I love the uh, the character development of Bruce Willis and and the uh, emotions that you feel in dealing with his two characters uh, as they as they interact with one another. Five characters is a good episode, and I don't want William Wyndham's ghost to come haunt me, but I'm going to vote for Shattered Day. A vote for Shattered Day, Mike. You know, th- this sucks because uh, I, I put Shatterday on the list. I said it's it's my favorite of the uh, the Twilight Zone revival episodes. It's uh, Harlan Ellison's one of my favorite writers. And uh, and Bruce R- Willis really does a fantastic performance. And it's such a great idea that, uh, that basically a twist on the, you know, a doppelganger has taken over your life, but he's actually doing it better than you and making the people around him happier than you were and that if you were to take your life back you make the world a worse place um that's actually a very horrible thing to think about but um five characters in search of an exit like i had said before there's something just you know when you see the 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 characters involved you've got you know the soldier and the clown and the ballerina and what's the last one i actually don't remember what the last one is um a bagpiper and, a hobo. and it's it, there are these weird like you're watching it initially kind of wondering are, are, the, are they supposed to be symbolizing something is each one of them an aspect of humanity there's so so many things about it that you can read into it that you can bring to it and then to find out that they are just dolls and they are just iconic kinds of kids dolls um it's brilliant i mean that that's the the, the twist really really works there because you're trying to figure out along with the characters, what is going on? You know, 
is it a prison? Is it a hell? What What is this? And then for it to be something so simple and so mundane and something so without meaning while you've spent a whole episode trying to find meaning, uh, just an absolutely fantastic twist. Again, it's just almost kind of bizarre, surrealist sort of thing. Um, I love that episode. It's it's one of my all-time favorites, and it, it's still still powerful. Uh, vote for five characters. Greg? Yeah, five characters in search of an exit. Uh, to me, has has got a lot of call outs into the future, a lot of things that are sort of an echo of it. Uh, when I was watching the Canadian film Cube and that storyline, it kind of reminded me of maybe a sort of a dark and twisted version of the Twilight Zone. But, you know, the Cube film did it much worse because it tried to explain too much. And it did try to make its characters too, you know, symbolically meaningful. And I really love the way the Twilight Zone episode ends with this being so much more simple and for the characters ending that episode virtually convinced that they were in hell and facing some sort of eternal damnation they're about to get the good toy story ending at some point they're going to get delivered to an orphanage and and they're going to be um toys with a with a you know, human companionship again so five characters a uh, vote for five characters pat yeah i like um one of the things I like about a shattered day is that it is um, it really is a good represent or um, a good representation of suppose that your life has been terrible and you decide to change it. So within you, you have to create a better person, but the but the um, the bad person still exists. And what happens is as time goes by, the person that you want to be overcomes the person that you're uh, that you're trying to uh, turn away from. And that seems to be, to me anyways, that's what, that's what that episode seemed to uh, represent. And I like that idea of people being able to decide uh, to become their own doppelganger and, and have the good side overcome the bad side. So I'm going to go with uh, Shatterday. A vote for Shatterday. It is all tied up. It comes down to you, Michael. Which one takes the win? All very good reasons to vote for either one of these. Um, shit. I don't know if there's any other episode on this list. There's maybe one other one um, from the, the 1985 revival that might go a little bit further. I think Shatterday is a, is, is, is a great example of why the revival worked as well as it did. Because they understood the original show, but at the same time, they weren't afraid to update it for modern times. And I haven't seen the most recent one that Forrest Whitaker hosted. I, I don't think probably too many of us have. I heard it was actually pretty decent. Um, but as, as, as great as uh, Five Characters in Search of an Exit is, and I will say it is a top-tier Twilight Zone episode, I really would like to see something from the 85 show go forward, and I think Shatterday is as great an example of that as any. So I'm going to vote for Shatterday. And Shatterday is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Mike, this one is yours. It is Time Enough to Last versus uh, to do Examination Day. Well, since uh, since we we're getting our love um, for uh, the new show uh, Taking Care of in Shatterday, I, I feel comfortable voting for Time Enough at Last. Um, Examination Day was great. Uh, for all the reasons we've mentioned before, it's clever and it's meaningful and it's poignant uh, and all of that. Um, but time enough at last, 
just so much the guys the guy's a geek the guy just wants to read um in so many ways the this you know he wants to be alone and enjoy his his entertainment um i mean how is he not one of us uh and it's also you know where else but the twilight zone and in an episode like this does does the apocalypse turn out to be a good thing you know that makes somebody happy it might make me happy um uh, as long as I still have my glasses. Although I, I often wondered, you know, couldn't he have just like searched among like the dead bodies and tried out other pairs of glasses? Uh, maybe eventually he did. Maybe it was just a brief overreaction and then he got his shit together, found some glasses and, uh, and had himself a good old time. So I'm going to vote for time enough at last. Uh, vote for time enough at last. Greg. When I was a kid, my brother was four years older than I was and was you know, general, generally a very cool older brother, but he was so afraid of his glasses getting messed up, and I didn't wear glasses back then, that you could almost guarantee a fight if you even touched you know, the glasses on his face. And so I totally get the, uh, the, the big moment at the end of this where this, you know, his glasses gets broken. If that had been my brother, I think I would have had to you know, hightail it down the road and hide out for several hours. Um, for me, time enough. Time enough at last always will resonate. Another vote for time enough at last, Pat. Um, examination day is uh, a cautionary tale, a warning um, to watch out for people who get into power that want to do something such as uh, modify children's textbooks to remove Thomas Jefferson and add Thomas Aquinas in his place. I think that. Um, I, I'll go for examination day. It's a it's an important tale for everyone to know. Uh, vote for examination day, Michael. Mm. Um, yeah. Look, examination day. It's funny because I was just thinking about the kid from that. The kid who they end up having to. He's too smart for his own good. Uh, was played by David Mendenhall, who two years later essayed one of the most annoying kid performances in history and Sylvester Stallone's over the top. So the fact that I can actually watch examination day and, uh, that was that. I just have to send one up for over the top. You, you, you don't get the bell anymore. I just turned, I just turned my head around backwards. I just, oh, fuck it. Anyway. So, uh, do I hear if, Frank Stallone music? No, you don't. He does now because he's doing the editing on the show. Oh, for the love of God, time enough at last. Move on. A vote for time enough at last. And Barry. Now I'm just going to make this quick time enough at last. Fucking assholes. Time enough at last is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Uh, Greg, this one is yours. It is Eye of the Beholder versus Monsters Are Due at, what is that? Maple Street. The very last scene in both of these uh, films from the shows from the first watching completely caught me off guard. I think when you come back to Eye of the Beholder later, the twist is foremost in your mind, so it doesn't have that ability to sort of... Uh, to me, I can't watch the show without thinking about it knowing what the, tw the twist is. Whereas, if I were to get somebody who hadn't seen the monsters on Maple Street together to watch this for the first time now and sort of gave them hints that there was nothing supernatural going to happen, that there was going to be one of those sort of logical explanations like in the pilot, I think they'd probably believe me. And it makes the very you know subtle final scene even that much more powerful that 
it doesn't have to be foremost in your mind when you watch it. Uh, to me, this one's all about the monsters. Uh, vote for monsters. Uh, Pat. Boy, this is a tough one. Um, um, I'm going to keep it simple. Uh, I think I'm going to go for monsters. I think that it, um, uh, it, uh, is a, it's a, again, like I said last time, it's a good representation of, uh, how easy it is to get in touch, get in touch with, uh, or to tap into the dark side of humanity. So monsters. A uh, vote for monsters, Michael. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I comment on how well I, how well uh, I of the beholder was, how well it was made, and how you know, well intricately that movie is put together, or that that episode is put together. Um, the problem with that episode is it's all set up for one payoff. I really you do need with it, it's once you get to the twist, it's kind of that's the whole point, just to get to the twist and watching the episode again you kind of get impatient with it. it. It only kind of works that one time with the big shock. And then there's not quite as much to savor and repeat viewings. Whereas monsters is even better today than I think it was when I first saw it. So monsters. Uh, vote for monsters, Barry. On the, in the eye of the beholder, um, even though today as a people, we've still got a ways to go. I'd like to think that, that that was a future that, could possibly come true, but didn't in that we've got people who are different from us that are doing things like kids with downs that are playing football on football and basketball teams with regular high school and other folks with disabilities or other, uh, other, uh, other uh, ailments that are doing the same things that, that everybody else is doing. So we didn't go down that road, which I think is good. Monsters I think is better because that's still, as somebody pointed out, relevant today, what a few or a few or many people who acting in mob fashion can do and can cause terror uh, to, to, to us as a society. So I'm going to vote for Monsters. Another vote for Monsters. And Mike, is it a clean sweep? Uh, it should be, but it's not going to be. Uh, I'm glad it's moving on, and I will I will say... Uh, more wonderful things about it in the next round, but I'm going to give a little love to Eye of the Beholder for for two reasons, and they're kind of almost linked. Uh, one, uh, I believe that's it's Ellie Mae Clampett who is the the woman in that, right? Is yeah, that her? Same actress. Yeah. The, uh, the, the actress. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I um, think so. And you know, it's funny because you know Barry just mentioned how he you know he thinks that we've kind of moved a little bit beyond this. Um, but, but I can think of, and, and even when I was younger, I thought this, I was like, I want to go to that world where, where, where all the hot chicks are considered ugly. Cause then I might have a shot with them. Um, so because, uh, in the end I'm a bad person and, uh, and, and really I should be trying to learn more from these episodes rather than try to take advantage of the weird twist and, uh, and use them to my own, uh, nefarious ends. Um, I will vote for eye of the beholder because. Uh, I'm I'm not a good person. A vote for Eye of the Beholder, but monsters are due at Maple Street is moving on. We're I'm, sorry, to- I'm sorry, Mike. Did you say the girl in the in the Eye of the Beholder was Ellie Mae Clampett? Yeah, yeah. I don't think so. Well, we'll look. Yeah, it up. it's a it's a two parter. Um, one woman plays her under bandages, but when she's unmasked, it's uh, it's Ellie oh, Mae Clampett. Oh, when she's in. Okay, all right. Yeah, the hot yeah, the- chick. The woman okay, that played yeah. under the bandages was, was Miss Jane. 
No, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was Buddy Epson. But we are on to our next fight, Pat. This one is yours. It is two versus the Thirty Fathoms Grave. Um, I still prefer the Thirty Fathom Grave. It's a good uh, good ghost story, um, and I like it. I'll vote for Thirty Fathoms, Michael. Uh, well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the contest to see who is going to get sacrificed to monsters are due on Maple Street <laughs> in the next round. Um, in that case, I'm just going to pick randomly because it really doesn't fucking matter. Uh, 30 Fathom Grave. Uh, vote for 30 Fathom Grave. Barry. Um, I'm going uh, gonna to vote for two uh, because of Elizabeth Montgomery being one of my first uh, crushes along with... Um, Mrs. Bellows from uh, Genie. Uh, so I'm going to vote for two. A vote for two. Mike. Uh, this is one that I, uh, an episode that I liked, but uh, certainly is not at the top um, versus one I don't remember at all. So I should vote for two because I do like it. But as Michael said, uh, this is, uh, this is just lambs to the slaughter. So I will vote for 30 Fathom Grave because 30 is more than two. All right. Uh, excellent logic. Greg. This is one of these things where I may come along a um, year from now and think very differently of this because I'm writing this high of having just seen two for the first time and loved it. Will it wear so well? I don't know, but my vote goes for two. A vote for two, but 30 Fathom Grave is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Michael, this one is yours. It is... To serve man versus a small talent for war. Uh, yeah, this is an interesting matchup. Two very similar episodes that at a very key point uh, sort of diverge. But at the end of the day, the basic, the basic thrust is here. If aliens come down to visit us, do not trust them under any circumstances. No matter what they say, there's something. It may seem okay, but it's really not. In, in a way, really, Small Talent for War is a remake of To Serve Man. It's just instead of it being, uh, they're here to eat us, they're here to see if we're worthy to be warriors of the galaxy, and if our instinct for war is really that strong, turns out they think we're kind of pussies, so they decide to destroy us. I find that funnier than To Serve Man. To Serve Man is, is great, and again, it's, what's the word I'm looking for? Memorable. And uh, it's, I really think that it's, you know, I think Small Talent for War is more clever. And I think it's less heralded, and I think it deserves more attention. So to serve man, you can buy an action figure of the guy. We don't need to, and it's been parodied so often, it hardly needs any love from us to be remembered. So Small Talent for War. Uh, vote for Small Talent for Iconic War. Uh, <laughs> Barry. <laughs> Oh, well, we're getting into the, to the really difficult ones here. Uh, logically, I mean, because it's a original show to serve man, part of the original uh, uh, one, I mean, logically, to serve man should go on. But I think Damon has pointed out that when you're in doubt, go with your heart. And my heart, I think, goes with for a small talent for war. Uh, vote a small talent for war uh mike uh this this is a tough one they are very very similar uh both of them actually deal with a a misunderstanding of the aliens and and to serve man we get this cookbook and the title is to serve man and we think oh 
they're go- they're going to serve us as in help us rather than serve us as in uh, serve us as a meal. And in a small talent for war, the aliens come down and say uh, they're disappointed because we have a small talent for war. And the, the assumption that the world makes is that they are displeased with the fact that we are still continuing war, that they, that they were hoping we would be peaceful. And the UN goes to great, they, they give us a deadline to, to take care of the problem. And they go to great lengths and sign a treaty and, and finally bring peace to, to planet Earth. And actually, the aliens inspire us to do something we've never been able to do ourselves. When the aliens come back and we tell them, look, hey, we've, we've done it. We've eliminated all hostility. We have made, the, made this the most peaceful world we've ever had. And the aliens are like, well, what the fuck is wrong with you? We were trying to breed you to be warriors. See, this is what we mean. So both of them based on a misunderstanding. But... Uh, it's, I like small talent for war. I put it on the list. Um, again, I, I'm, I'm glad to see the new show getting so much, uh, attention, but, uh, to serve man, it's a cookbook. I mean, that's just fucking bizarre. They give us a cookbook here. This is how we're going to prepare you. Uh, that's just some crazy, crazy ass shit. Um, and you know, I also have to look at it as Lionel Luther versus, uh, jaws and uh, in a fight. I mean, if, if it was like, if they were fighting each other financially, Lionel Luther would take it, but I think in a straight up fight, jaws would beat the shit out of him. I'm sorry. Jaws. Yeah. Richard Keel. Isn't that Richard Keel? That's not, that's not, oh no, it's Lurch. Lurch would still beat the shit out of uh, Lionel no, Luther. It's Richard Keel. Oh, see, that's what I mean. Shut the fuck up. I thought it was, uh, oh no, I'm thinking of yeah, his appearance on Star Trek. I'm not thinking of, sorry. But in any event, I'm voting for uh, To Serve Man, because it's iconic. Uh, Serve Man gets a vote. Greg. I also will be voting for To Serve Man, partly because I think, you know, I want to give love to the original, but also I'm going back to that idea from the the pre-pilot that we talked about at the very beginning, the very first fight. What would it have been like to have seen this for the very first time? I do not know that in the early 1960s, the uh, American television viewing public was in any way prepared for this. And to me, when I look at the show and try to look at it from that perspective, uh, some of these shows are still marvelously subversive. To Serve Man. A vote for To Serve Man. It is all tied up. It comes down to you, Pat. Which one takes the win? Well, as I said before... To serve man is is for me is just two, and I love European history, so I'm going to go for a small talent for war. A small talent for war is moving on. We're on to our next fight, Barry. This one is yours. It is Nick of Time. It's the Shatner fight. It's Nick of Time versus Nightmare at twenty thousand feet. Which one are you going with, Barry? Well, in this case, it wouldn't be a Shatner fight for me because I think I like the John Lithgow version better because i think he did crazier better uh i think the situation was more tense uh, i guess maybe because it, it was done with better effects and, and certainly the monster effect was a lot better i'm going to vote for nick of time because i really like the way that this was resolved where you've got shatner and his wife on the cusp of becoming a slave to the fortune telling machine and then finally realizing that this is just a machine. It's just a box. It's just a piece of paper. It's not going to control our lives. And they leave. And then at the end, here comes the other couple who 
haven't quite made that realization. They are still the slaves to the, the, the little demon box. I think the nick of time nick of time was better, and I'm gonna vote for Nick of Time. A vote for Nick of Time, Mike. Uh, I am going to vote for uh, Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet, um, and uh, and it is because uh, the Lithgow um, portrayal and version puts it just puts it over the top. It really was uh, terrifying, and that allows us to even bring the movie into this. And even though the movie may not have delivered as well as uh, as as maybe some of us wanted. It certainly came out at a time with, when there's some, some stiff competition. Um, but this particular installment in the movie far surpassed the original. Um, Shatner was great and Shatner plays crazy. Great. Uh, and, uh, and he plays crazy great in, in both of these, but uh, you know, one of them is the I word and, uh, and, and really if nothing else, because it did give us that absolutely fantastic uh, third rock from the sun moment. So uh, I am going to stick with Nightmare at 20,000 feet. Nightmare. Greg. If I look at this as a Shatner fight, I'd have to go with Nick of Time because we don't normally think of Shatner for any sort of subtlety in his acting, and I think he just turns in a much better performance in Nick of Time. But when it comes to the villain, at the end of the day, Nick of Time is, you know, it's the magic eight ball that, that they're that they're dealing with as an antagonist that doesn't have anywhere near the, uh, the, uh, fright potential. The, it's just, it doesn't have the gravity that, um, nightmare at 20,000 does. So nightmare. A vote for nightmare. Pat. Yeah. I, I agree that the performance, uh, from Shatner on Nick of time is much better, uh, because of the subtlety. However, the story itself as a whole, um, on the broader sense, I think uh, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet is better. So, Nightmare. Another vote for Nightmare. Michael? Yeah, I think the decision's pretty clear here, so I'm going to vote for the Invaders. A vote for the Invaders. Um, they, they did lose, but um, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet is moving on into the next round. We're on to our next fight. Mike, this one is yours. It is a game of pool versus I am the Knight. Color me black. Uh, this one is actually pretty easy for me, uh, even though I love a game of pool. Like I said before, I was I am the Night Color Me Black is one of my, my all-time favorite episodes. And, and you know, uh, it, it's been mentioned that it, it, it gets on its soapbox, and, and very strongly so. And it, I think it is probably, in terms of its, of its message, the most heavy-handed uh, Twilight Zone I can think of. I mean, it is really, really sort of drills at home. And I... And I think that's its strength. I think uh, the the story that it's telling, and uh, and yeah, this was this wasn't made after after the JFK assassination, and this was made during uh, a, a a tumultuous time in in our country's history. And I think the frustration and the anger and the rage about um, the the struggle that was going on in this country. Uh, that just that just came through. I don't think I think Rod Serling couldn't be subtle with this. I don't think it was necessarily a desire to hit you over the head as much as it was a a a frustration and rage and anger that that we're even still having this problem and we're, that these issues still exist. Um, it's very thick. It's very heavy handed, but it's very meaningful and it's just it's very emotional. 
uh, when I watch this episode, it, it's just, it's difficult. It's, it's exhausting because the, the reality of it is so, uh, is so kind of brutal in, in the way that it's portrayed and it's not a happy ending and, and the darkness is growing. I mean, the premise, I won't even get into that, but you know, the, the sun won't rise because of the, the hate and the wrongness and that hate and wrongness is spreading and blanketing the planet. Um, it leaves on a very ominous note. Uh, and, and I think that note is because Serling felt and understood that this problem wasn't getting addressed and wasn't getting taken care of. And here we are 50 years later and you know, the skies are as black as ever. So uh, I'm, I'm going to vote for I Am the Night, Color Me Black, because I think just emotionally, it is one of the most charged episodes of this show. I Am the Night, Color Me Black gets a vote. Greg. Quick question, Mike. I think you're probably thinking that you needed to put it all out there because this might be the last stop for I Am the Night. Am I right? Uh, I think there's a, there's a, a, a good chance here, but also because last round I didn't, I didn't say anything really. <laughs> Yeah. Um, my vote is I in the night. And I, for one, one reason on uh, the other side of the, of the bracket is the phantom carriage theme, you know, uh, death shows up or the, the devil's bargain or all of that sort of afterlife mentality is such a common, you know, persistent uh, trope throughout the twilight zone that I in the night stands out as very, very different. It reminds me of the uh, Maurice Ogden poem the hangman uh and yeah you can't you can't read that poem without having a soapbox nearby so the soapbox element doesn't put me off all right who wins the uh the pool is to win uh, maurice ogden was first going to get brought up uh, I, no I, one I, not, not me no. uh, right. but uh <laughs> patrick apparently whoever played <laughs> <laughs> i'll just give myself a fiver and call it done so, uh, so the, there is this theme in uh, the Twilight Zone uh, quite often of of the apocalypse, the end of the world, uh, either through atomic or whatever. And I think this was I Am the Night is presented as one of the types of apocalypses that we could bring upon ourselves, not with weapons, but with just hate and the idea that uh, humans could bring society into darkness by... Uh, uh, with this um, unbridled hate, this um, uh, you know, the senseless hate. So I think that um, I think I am the night should go on. Another vote for I am the night, Michael. I am the night, <laughs> Barry. Is it a clean sweep? No, it's not going to be a clean sweep. I put a game of pool on here, thinking that it would be the original one with Jack Klugman, and I didn't even know that they had redone that in the 1985 version. So I watched the 85 version, and then I found out that that was the one that had the ending that the writer, George Clayton Johnson, originally wanted. In the original one, uh, 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 Jack wins, and he's got to assume the mantle of playing everybody that he wants to while, uh, while uh, Fats goes off fishing. But in the remake, um, we have this theme of, uh, of, uh, that's being pressed to the young pool player of, you spent your whole life in here. You've, you've never been with a girl. You've never done anything. Get out. Have a life. And at the end, when he does lose and, in essence, says, says to Fat, says, well, are you going to take my life? He said, yeah, 
you're going to die, but you're going to die regular, but you still got this chance, giving him his chance again to live his life. And at the end, he still says, no, I'm going to practice. I'm going to get better. I can do it. I can do it. So even at the end, when, when explained that you're not going to be this person if you don't get outside and, and, and not be a slave to your obsession with this pool game or your obsession with, I don't know, being the best lawyer or whatever, you're really not going to enjoy it. And he gives them that chance. Uh, the Isai Morales character throws it away. And so I think that that's a better... Uh, that's a better episode, and so my vote's going to go for a game of pool. A vote for a game of pool, but I am the knight. Color me negro. Color me black. Is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Greg, this one is yours. It is the living doll versus where is everyone? So you kind of have the last man on earth theme going up against the uh, the you know the well you have the living doll literally. I'm going to go with living doll. I like it better as a storyline. I've enjoyed it, and not so much in Chucky, but in things like Dead of Night and Magic, and it's appeared in Night Gallery episodes as well. It's it's well done here. Maybe the best of all of those, and uh, and it it hits all the right buttons. It tells the good genre story very well. A uh, vote for Living Doll, Pat. I think uh, themes like or stories like the Living Doll hit us really hard because uh, I think it reaches into something in our childhood and then makes it evil, something that, was, that used to be, that used, to be um, used to be perfect or good. Um, even, even if that's not the case, Living Doll just, just freaks the hell out of me, so I'm going to go for Living Doll. Another vote for Living Doll. Uh, Michael? Um, there was a couple years ago they made a Talking Tucky Tina bobblehead, a talky a talking bobblehead that I saw at a convention. I couldn't buy it because it creeped the fuck out of me. And the idea of having that thing in my house and having it accidentally turn on or accidentally say something while I'm walking by it or something going, no fucking way. Talky Tina scares the shit out of me and always will. Uh, whereas everyone is a terrific episode. But if I don't vote for Talkie Tina, she's going to kill me. A vote for Living Doll. Barry. Um, by my count, Living Doll's got the votes and is moving on. So I'm going to save time and talk about it next round. I'm going to vote for Living Doll. Another vote for Living Doll. Mike, is it a clean sweep? Uh, yes, it is. Um, if if for no other reason, you know, we, were, we mentioned earlier that... Uh, Five characters in search of an exit was kind of the dark uh, take on Toy Story. Uh, this is the dark take on Toy Story. <laughs> and Living Doll is moving on. We're on to our next fight. It's for a spot in the final four. Pat, this one is yours. It is Shatterday versus Time Enough at Last. Oh, I said, I said uh, everything about Shatterday. I, I prefer that. Shatterday. I'll vote for Shatterday. Michael. I, too, am also going to vote for Shatterday. Um, more complex episode than Time Enough at Last. There's no going to be no shortage of iconic in the final episode, in the final showdown here. Uh, we got to start making some tough decisions, and I'm, I'm going totally with Shatterday. A vote for Shatterday. Barry. Um, Shatterday. Bruce Willis, I, I loved his performance in it, and I like to think that 
more than one casting director saw that because I think somebody pointed out it came right after Moonlighting. More than one casting director saw this and said, well, damn, this son of a bitch can act. So I'm going to vote for Shatterday. Another vote for Shatterday. Mike. Uh, when I was in kindergarten, I was given uh, my very first eye exam and they basically said, oh, no, this kid can't see. Give him glasses. And I have worn glasses my entire life. I have an incredibly, uh, incredibly bad eyesight, a very, very uh, heavy prescription. Um, I, I've been told I may be legally blind. Uh, I'm not sure that I wasn't told by a doctor. Um, but I, I have been told by several optometrists that I have the worst eyesight they've ever seen. Um, because of that, time enough at last does terrify me. Uh, the apocalypse part doesn't, the breaking my glasses part does. I've actually broken a pair of glasses, had those glasses in uh, at the optometrist getting repaired. The day I was supposed to pick them up, I broke my spare. And I can't drive without glasses. Fortunately, my brother has a, a prescription that's close enough. I mean, not even really close enough, but at least enough for me to be able to drive down the street and see the uh, the red lights and uh, and not kill myself. So this lifelong issue with uh, with fear of losing glasses and breaking glasses, uh, just on a personal level, means that time enough at last uh, is, is it for me. Oh, vote for time enough at last, and Greg. Uh, my vote is for time enough at last, but I'm still happy all the same that a kind of a doppelganger William Wilson kind of story is moving on. That's that's no, still good. Um, actually, no, it's not. I haven't seen it, so I don't know. No, no. Um, I'm changing my vote. It's funny. Mike just hit on something that I had forgotten. Two weeks ago, I was at a convention, and I was getting ready to go downstairs. I'm in my hotel room, and the uh, screw on the right, on my lens, on my glasses, on my right side, the only eye I can really see out of, uh, popped out of my glasses, and the lens fell out. And I didn't have... It had stripped. I needed to be able to super glue it in there, and I didn't have any super glue there downstairs. I was essentially fucked. All I could do was sit there like a. I didn't have my spares with me. I all I could do was sit there like a schmuck in my hotel room bathroom, with no way to go downstairs, no way to do anything. I was completely and utterly screwed. And it was only because, fortunately, a friend of mine happened to have some, and he came up and gave it to me. That I was actually able to go out and actually interact with the fucking world. I had just, I completely forgotten about that, and that, it, I I do remember sitting there thinking, one little thing like this, and I'm thoroughly fucked. I can't do a goddamn thing. All I can do is just sit here in this room and look at the blurry whatever the fuck that is in front of me. It might be a wall. I don't know. So yeah, okay. Time enough at last. And time enough at last is into the final four. We are on to our next fight, Mister Felsher. This one is yours. It is monsters are due on Maple Street versus 30 Fathom Grave. I'm going to just, here's the thing about this. Um, I didn't even fill in the winner from the last match here on my form for this final showdown. I have Eye of the Beholder, Monsters are due, and then the winner is Monsters are due, and then two and 30 Fathom Grave, and I just have nothing. Because it was just like, why bother? Monsters are due on Maple Street. A uh, vote for monsters, Barry. Yeah, I think monsters has is, is, is got to go forward, and uh, just to save time, I'll just say monsters and and reserve uh, reserve uh, talk for later. 
Mike? Yeah, Monsters. Uh, Greg? Monsters are due on Maple Street. Pat, is it a quick clean sweep? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Uh, Monsters is very powerful. Yes, Monsters. Monsters are due into the final four. Next fight, Barry, this one is yours. It is a small talent for war versus nightmare at 20,000 feet. Uh, we've got uh, the, the 85 version versus the uh, uh, classic one, or maybe the remake if you want to talk to the film. But, but I've, I've talked about small talent for war as being one that I hadn't seen until recently. And just the impression that it made on me with the, with the, with the way that it was acted and the twist. And and I'm going to vote for Small Talent of War over twenty thousand, just because of the that wonderful scene where they present to the uh, John Glover character the book of the Eternal Peace Treaty forever and ever, and he just gives this maniacal laugh, and everybody else laughs with him, not knowing what it is, and then here comes the twist, and it just resonates with me more, and I think it's a better story, so I'm going to go for Small Talent. A uh, small talent for war gets a vote, Mike. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've certainly championed the uh, the Shatner uh, quite a bit, and uh, and while I do think Captain Kirk would beat uh, Lionel Luther in a fight, um, I'm going to go with the small talent for war uh, again. The idea of keeping alive the uh, the the new show. Uh, this was a great, and this was actually very short. And the the episode there was an hour long show. Uh, when they brought it back in the 80s, and they would have uh, typically two episodes per show. This particular show had three episodes because this one uh, it was, was not a half hour. It's very, very short, and, and that that's smart. That shows you how instead of trying to milk this idea and keep this twist a secret, they just sort of got in and got out and and uh, and just kind of sort of left a, left a bomb with you. Um, it's it's really clever because there's the the twist is not just in this episode, but there have been so many science fiction stories where the aliens come down and they're unhappy with uh, with us being warlike. I mean, the assumption is that the aliens are are you know peaceful and wonderful and blah blah blah. And if they were bad aliens, they'd just come and destroy us. Um, so it's it's a twist on really a, is a, a cliche throughout uh, all of science fiction, and that that's really what sets it up. So it's a great it's a great episode, a great story. Uh, John Glover is fantastic, and I'm just uh, so happy that uh, that one of the new uh, the new shows uh, is moving ahead this far. Uh, vote for a small talent for war, Greg. Well, I want to thank everybody that when I get around to watching the '80s series, I've got two episodes to start with. I don't have to feel my way through blindly, but I will have to cast my vote for uh, Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet. Partly because that's the one I've seen, and because I think it brings in the the nineteen eighties anthology film, and uh, there's something to be said for that. A uh, vote for a nightmare at twenty thousand feet killed people with a helicopter. Uh, Pat, um, considering how often um, uh, countries, even after creating uh, peace treaties, they go to war and and they create economic ties and then go to war. I think that actually the aliens are out already here and, and, uh, and, and improving our small talent for war. So I think that the uh, small talent for a uh, vote for a small talent for war and Michael. 
Yeah, you know, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet in both iterations, I, I greatly prefer the Twilight Zone, the movie version with John Lithgow. I still think that's one of the most bug-eyed, crazed, stressed-out performances I've ever seen an actor give. It's immensely effective. And George Miller, of course, did the Mad Max movies. What he does with the camera and how he captures the claustrophobia in that cabin, uh, it's it's a masterstroke. It's, it's, thank God the movie ended with that. So he actually walked out of that movie thinking it was actually a lot better than it really was. Um, but A Small Talent for War is a much more interesting idea to me. At the end of the day, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet is uh, a, a plane-phobic guy sees a gremlin on the wing. And yeah, of all the people to see, it's him. Small Talent for War, and it does, I do love the, I'd love the, the inversion of the, the standard twist. These aliens are not here about peace or anything. They're looking for assholes who are going to go out there and, and kick some ass and, you know, be warriors of the galaxy. And I love the fact that we're even as badass as we think we are and as horrible as we think we are, we still weren't good enough for them. So I, I like that twist. So the fact is we embrace peace and it gets us killed. So I, I'm going to go with uh, Small Talent for War. Uh, and a small talent for war is in the final four for the last spot in the final four. Mike, this one is yours. It is I Am the Night, Color Me Black versus Living Doll. Uh, you know, I'm still going to ride the I Am the Night, Color Me Black train. Uh, Living Doll is great. Um, I, I think it's it's funny that, you know, both times Michael answered, he used the word creepy because the Twilight Zone is was a show that that had creepy through and through and i think this is the creepiest episode of the twilight zone so that's saying a lot and 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 my god it's just really really powerful but in the end it's not about anything um you look at uh you know monsters are doing maple street we've already gone here small talent for war what what we're really kind of coming down to is this idea that that the twilight zone is more than just about a twist. It's more than just being drama. It's more than just acting. It's a show that was about something. It may have been, you know, one of the great shows that actually was about something. And a lot of the shows that really do uh, have meaning and and really talk about our our world and and what's right with it and what's wrong with it, a lot of them uh, go bad and, and jump the shark and get too preachy. And uh, and even though this was probably the preachiest episode of the Twilight Zone, it's it really never did as a show uh, go that far. Um, you know th- that that's the Twilight Zone to me is just a show that's about something where you watch it. That's what makes science fiction great is the fact that you can talk about our world without talking about our world in in, in the literal sense. And I think that's what makes this show great. And I think that's what makes this episode great. Uh, it's heavy handed. Um, the the blackness that's covering the world is 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 our own evil made literal and manifest and and uh, while while I don't think that we are really in danger of that happening in a in a literal sense we are always in danger of that happening in that metaphorical sense and uh, this episode really really drives that home uh, so much better than than I think most of the other episodes of this series so uh, I think I'm going to keep the the poignancy and the meaning and the message alive with uh, I Am The Night Color Me Black. A vote for I Am The Night. I Am Batman. Um, <laughs> Greg. And one of the things we've mentioned a lot are the the old faces, familiar faces, uh, actors earlier in their career, 
And uh, Telly Savalas, I've never necessarily rated as a great actor, but I really love him here. And I think it's it's really one of those things where I'm always going to get a good feeling watching The Living Doll because of knowing who Telly Savalas was and having seen him on TV and everything else. Uh, there's a better ensemble going on probably in I Am the Night, but I'm going to give it to The Living Doll because of that familiarity of the performance. A vote for Living Doll. Pat. Well, we do have a, a choice here, as we said, between um, an episode with a message and an episode that really no message. But the episode with no message uh, can uh, be very entertaining. It's like a roller coaster ride. It's just a, just a lot of fun. Um, the uh, I Am the Night uh, does get a little bit on the preachy side. Um, and I think that maybe it might be good because we have all these um, all these other very dark, very, very intense monsters uh, talent. Uh, I think I'm going to vote for Living Doll. They have something a little just something without a message. Living Doll. Uh, vote for Living Doll. Michael. I, I agree with everything that's been said about I Am the Night. And it's actually an episode I'm going to go back and rewatch very shortly after we do this because... Um, you know, I don't think there's anything against being preachy or anything like that. I, I think God bless Rod Serling and, and the producers and the writers of that show for having the balls to do an episode like that. And also for doing so many episodes of the show that weren't simple-minded, that weren't, you know, they, they, they really were about something. I would actually argue that Living Doll actually, I mean, aside from just being a great scare piece, actually is about something. I mean, the, the stepfather character is a miserable bastard who doesn't understand his stepdaughter, doesn't want to have anything to do with her, is not particularly nice to his wife. He's feeling ostracized from this family he's been kind of stuck with. And the talkie Tina doll is it's kind of the way of, of you know, the, 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 the zeitgeist, the stratosphere's way of telling him, hey, get your shit in line and start realizing what you have, only doing it in a very seemingly innocent but very threatening way. But at the same time, I mean, it, it's it's primarily a, a scare piece. But at the end of the, so, I am the night is I think much more ambitious. I think it, it it tries to do more. But here's the problem: Talkie Tina will fucking kill you. I don't think I can stress this enough. You have to vote for Talkie Tina, or she will climb into your bed and fucking kill you. I, I, I don't understand where the confusion seems to be here with some people. So, Living Doll. Oh, vote for Living Doll and Barry. Well, with that sufficient warning from, from Michael, I'm going to be sure and stick a chair under my door jam tonight and, I don't know, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe get a set of nunchucks or something like that because I'm going to vote for I Am the Night. While talking, Tina, the idea of the doll is scary, I think the scarier thing to me in the better story was I am the night where you've got people who have a choice to be good or to be evil and they're going to be evil and we see what happens to it. And that collective of what could happen when people's darker sides come through resonated more with me as as being more of a of a scarier story and and a, a, a more of a story that made me think uh so i'm gonna vote for i am the night oh vote for i am the night but living doll is moving on we've got time enough at last versus monsters are due on maple street and a small talent for war versus living doll 
Uh, Greg, this fight is yours. Time enough at last versus monsters are due on Maple Street. Iconic versus iconic. Yeah, I thought this might be tougher when I was looking at the brackets and thinking this was probably going to be one of the final four, but I don't think it is. In the case of uh, Time Enough at Last, it's a personal story. I love it for that reason, but the monsters are due on Maple Street might actually be more lasting and more meaningful than even Rod Serling would have imagined back when it was originally telecast. Uh, It's got a lot of elements I just love in terms of almost a Night of the Living Dead kind of a feel but with no tangible monsters and a twist at the end. It's monsters. A vote for monsters. Pat? Well, I think that the uh, the monsters would go and break the glasses, so I'm going to go with the monsters. A vote for monsters. Michael? Monsters. As much as I love uh, Time Enough at Last, it seems kind of slight in comparison to uh, to monsters. I'll talk more about monsters later. Another vote for Monsters. Barry? Um, yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead and go with Monsters and, and, and reiterate what Mike said. I'll, I'll save my talking about Monsters for the final. Uh, Mike, is it a clean sweep? Yes, it is. Um, you know, like I said before, for me, the Twilight Zone is about something. Uh, and, uh, and really, there are few Twilight Zones that are about something more than Monsters are doing Maple Street. I'm glad you didn't say that time enough at last isn't about something because it's actually about the fact that we actually need people more than we thought we did. Other people. And you got to, and you really should get glasses that don't. Yeah. I I think, I think it's more about get a spare. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck get a spare. You still need people. Anyway. I don't know. People are over. Yeah. I, I, uh, okay. I think, I think it just means you need glasses. (laughs) <laughs> the only way if you can't make glasses your glasses yourself you need people to make your fucking glasses asshole. well that's why i said you get a few spares and then you let them all die well no fuck oh. it. go go get eye surgery now then what the hell do you have to worry about well at the time there was no things and you know even my with my eyesight i could just hold the books really close to my face <laughs> monsters yeah, this whole, are due this, this whole thing's coming apart monsters are due are in the finals uh Patrick, this fight is yours. It is a small talent for war versus living doll. Ooh, um, yeah, this is when it gets uh, very difficult. Uh, both of these are uh, close to my favorite. I think that um, uh, I'll go for a uh, um, living doll. A vote for living doll. Uh, Michael. Um, I, you know what? I like the idea of potentially there being a showdown between the best of the original show and one of the best of the, uh, of the revival problem is talkie Tina will fucking kill me if I don't vote for her. So I don't have a choice in the matter. So I'm going to go with living doll. Of over living doll, Barry. I, I think I'd mentioned earlier that one of the things I appreciate about the Twilight Zone is seeing folks extend their acting chops. And the doll, yes, will kill me, but Telly Savalas, I thought, just did a really awesome job from going from a character who's basically just a inconsiderate bore to really who somebody is just one step away from being a psychopath. 
and and he does it in a way that just makes you think that he's being consumed by this doll that he we don't know if the doll is actually talking to him or if he's if he's hearing it in his mind because nobody else hears the doll and i guess i like to think of the idea that the doll may be saying her normal things but he's hearing in his mind she's going to kill me and that drives him over the edge so i'm going to vote for living doll a vote for living doll uh no, uh, after she does kill him, she starts talking to the mom and saying, you're next if you fuck up. So, talking Tina does talk. It's not in his fucking head. Uh, a vote for Living Doll. Uh, Mike? I uh, I am going to vote for Living Doll. Uh, as much as I love Small Talent for War, and I do like the idea of an old... Um, an old episode going up against a new one. Uh, even more than that, I like the idea of two different sides of the twilight zone going up against each other. And, uh, and, and Michael was right when I said, uh, or it, it is, it, or the, uh, the living doll is, uh, is about something. It is about, and it's something that runs through the twilight zone a lot, which is the idea that something in the universe external to us has to kind of step up and tell us to, to stop being a dick uh, that comes up kind of in shatter day. It, uh, it comes up um, in shit. What was the other one we were just talking about? Um, it, regardless it, that it's one of those themes that comes up a lot that the universe basically has to step up somehow in some strange, mysterious way, even uh, I am the night calling me black and, and tell us to better ourselves. Um, in addition to that, uh, it is scary. It is creepy. And those are things that are iconic when you're talking about the Twilight Zone. So for me, that's what this is really going to come down to. Is, is And and it inspired uh, that uh, Anthony Hopkins movie um, and, and various other parodies. So I think, you know, here we're looking at a, at a final where we've got something that's really meaningful socially and politically. Uh, as well as as in terms of kind of the, the you know, looking at the human condition and something that equally looks at you know the human condition, but it's also just goddamn scary. Uh, that's two great sides of the Twilight Zone, and and that's something I'm looking forward to uh, talking about in the next round. A vote for the Living Doll, Greg. Is it a clean sweep? No, and it's not just a pity vote either for um, for uh, the. Uh, a small oh talent for war. Thank you. It's late. Um, to me, there was a chance there for us to have kind of a final where you've got um, ironic meeting iconic. And I would have liked that. I'll put a vote in favor of that, even though it's not going to happen. A vote for a small talent for war. But the living doll or living doll is moving on. We are at the final fight. And, I, and uh, you know, what? we're at the final fight. I'll, I'll, I'll mention something after the fact. It is Monsters Are Due on Maple Street versus Living Doll. Michael, that is your fight. Well, this is great. This is a great fight. I'm very, I'm very, very happy with the way this has ended up because I, I think we've chosen two sides of a very cool coin here. Uh, one, which is very much a... a, a they both represent sides of the human condition, but the, the Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, what I love about that, that story, what I love about stories like it, is that... You take we're so proud of the civilization that we've you know evolved into over the you know since we we stopped you know living in caves and 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 you know, that sort of thing we 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 you know we're proud of the 
the fact that we're civilized people and that we couldn't, you know, we were refined and we create beautiful things and works of art and all that shit. But how simple it is. Just all it takes is one little thing that we can't comprehend, one little idea, one little mystery that that shatters our illusions of this world that we live in for us to just completely fall the fuck apart. And I, you know, if you, you take the same situation and you make it uh, uh, an invasion from another country or a hurricane or uh, any number of things that we can rationalize and, and figure out and compartmentalize and put aside and go, okay, I understand what that is and we'll deal with it. It'll be stressful and there'll be fighting, but we, it doesn't shatter our perceptions of reality. The moment you take that away, people break down. And that episode is a, is a masterstroke in, in showing exactly what can happen with just the hint of something that people cannot wrap their, you know, their heads around and how it just, it, society just de-evolves in front of us. Living Doll is one of the scariest half hours of television you're probably ever going to see. And Talkie Tina, uh, she's probably going to kill me because I'm voting against her because this monsters are due on Maple Street. A uh, vote for monsters are due on Maple Street. Barry. Um, where I live uh, in the Deep South, uh, we have a lot of uh, inbred degenerates here. Hell and, yeah. And, and, and after 9-11, I got to see that uh, full in a living color where... Barely a day went by that a Muslim kid at school didn't get beat up or uh, people who, who, they weren't even Muslim. They just may have even had a different name, got, got harassed at work or something like that. So I was able to have a front row seat to see what happens when people's uh, mindlessness and, and paranoia and things that they don't understand get a hold of them. And I just couldn't keep thinking of how uh, prescient uh, Rod Serling was in 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 the monsters on Maple Street uh, show in in that episode by knowing that this is a human condition that wasn't just going to be in the fifties when there was the Red Scare that this would be something that would be timeless because people are going to be people and they're going to fear what they don't understand and something very innocuous about something they don't understand throws them over the edge, and they lose it. So I'm going to risk the wrath of uh, being stabbed to death by a doll and go for monsters. She only tripped the guy. That's all well, that's she did. Right. And I don't have stairs here, so I really don't have a whole lot to be afraid of. But a vote for monsters are due. Mike? Uh, yeah, uh, Barry actually uh, t- touched on something uh, briefly that, that really, to me, uh, solidifies it. I I love... Uh, the living doll, everything that's been said about it is true. It's scary. It does have meaning. Um, I, I've never been particularly afraid of, of my own toys. I have a healthy relationship with my toys. I think we are friends. Um, but uh, w- the monsters are due on Maple Street uh, was broadcast in 1960. So the people who watched that episode, um, the thing that that kind of went through their minds when uh, when they saw it, for for the most part, would almost certainly be this is a parable to communism and the Red Scare. Well, we don't really worry about communists anymore, but now uh, this is an episode about terrorists. 
How many terror are the, the terrorist cells? They're hiding. Uh, how many people do you know could be? Uh, in another 50 years, it'll be another villain. Uh, 50 years before the show was broadcast, it was a different villain. It's always a different villain, but the message that this show has always remains. Um, and that's unfortunate, and I'm glad that there are that there are things like this in science fiction to remind us of that. Um, but unfortunately, uh, the the story can keep getting told over and over again, exactly the same, and we always find a villain because this this episode rings true. It's a story about aliens. That's what this is about. It's science fiction. It's people from another planet. But in the end, it's not about aliens. It's about us. A vote for Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Greg. Talking Tina will not forgive you. Um, Yeah, she's a doll. I guess guess here's my my dilemma here. I'm going to vote for Monsters. To me, it's Monsters pretty decisively. But part of the reason that I've lost touch with the Twilight Zone, and I had to do a lot of rewatching here in recent days, is because the Living Doll episode is the kind of of horror type episode that my wife just has just has no bandwidth for. So you got to give a little credit to Living Doll and being terrifying enough that it makes it hard for me to to watch Twilight Zone on a regular basis, even in reruns, because there's some episodes that members of my family just can't handle. But to me, Monsters is much more frightening. It's it's much more my type of, of of terror because it's almost a touch too real. A vote for monsters are due on Maple Street. And Patrick or Pat, is it a clean sweep? Well, you know, my mind has just been blown with the realization that has been shown to me from all the discussions about the living doll. That talking Tina is actually an agent of God. So I think that, uh, uh, yeah, it's clean sweep. Monsters really does uh, represent uh, how how close to the edge when we're, when we're in a civilization. We're always just we're always on the edge of chaos. There's very little that holds it together, and that we all have to be very careful, or just anything can go and make us uh, make the whole thing fall apart. Monsters. A vote for Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. And Monsters Are Due is the winner, and we are absolutely wrong. And I will mention the date that we're recording this. We all, we've never mentioned the date we're recording this, but we're recording today on September 18th, which is a week after the attack in Libya and pretty much the, the across the world with this stuff. So I think it's kind of funny that Monsters Are Due won. I think if we had done it a week before, I don't know if Monsters Are Due would have actually had as much power as it had today. Uh, I think it would have. I think so too. I I, I think it's a little bit more powerful because of what happening, uh, what's happening. Uh, (laughs) No, because that's been happening for 50 years, a hundred years, a thousand years. But anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, Does anybody have anything they'd like to plug? Um, Pat? No, I'm just doing this for the hell of it. Nothing to plug. Barry? Not a thing. Nothing. Um, Greg, I know you've got stuff. But say, I'd love to say not a thing, that it's totally magnanimous, but I mentioned this show just a week ago when I put the 100th episode of Inappropriate Conversations out, and it's just a nice piece of serendipity that I you know, got, got the call for this one. Um, it's, it's always been a pleasure, and I look forward to doing it again. And you can find Inappropriate Conversations at www.inappropriateconversations.org. It's an audio blog. 
rock and roll. Uh, Michael. You know, I was just at the movie theater the other day, and I was reminded of my favorite movie snack, Red Vines. The name alone inspires countless theater memories for me, because for almost a century, Red Vines Candy has been providing entertainment and enjoyment to the young and young at heart. Deeply rooted in the traditions of the American West, the Red Vines brand is the premium quality licorice. You know, Red Vines is the only major brand still making twists with respect for tradition. The result is a distinctive, rich taste, soft and chewy texture, and desirable appearance, setting it apart from other chewy confections. In fact, Red Vines Candy is the number one non-chocolate confection in the West, where licorice means Red Vines. So if you want to waste your time having a snack that tastes like withered red dicks dipped in gasoline, please make sure to make your selection Red Vines. Classic, original, and authentic. Yum. Now that's a plug. Uh, okay, Michael. I, I like how you kept saying uh, of the West because most of us here on the East Coast don't even know about red vines. Let yeah, alone well, have a taste of them. Fuck y'all. <laughs> Check out our friends, DVDgeeks.tv, uh, Subspace Communicate, and their awesome podcast, Life After Trek, Bye Bye Robot, The Rock Files Files, Inappropriate Conversations. Uh, let's see. Also, give a listen to the Soulless Minions of Orthodoxy, Commentary Track Stars, uh, Mission Log, a Roddenberry podcast. Special thanks goes to Karen for being our web presence. Check out what she's doing on the Geek Fights Tumblr. Uh, Chris Mitchell created a Geek Fights Wikia, and uh, Christy Woke helped flesh it out. You can play on there, too. You can put whatever you want about us. Uh, who could forget Mr. Jarrett Formby and his amazing intro? Uh, check him out at www.heystartrek.com. Uh, anything from you, Mike? Uh, first of all, I, I know I've, I've, uh, I've done this shout out before. I'm going to do this shout out again. Uh, a big thank you to, uh, Wikipedia. Uh, I actually had every single episode on this list pulled up on Wikipedia so that I could flip through it and, and remind myself of, of the episodes and, and pull some facts if need be, uh, really, this show could not exist without Wikipedia and YouTube. Uh, I, I will just come out and say it because that's pretty much all. Everything I tell, I say on this show, I just, I just, I don't know anything for real. I just look it up on YouTube and Wikipedia and fake it pretty well. Um, you can find me every week on the Weekend Geek Video Show, uh, also on YouTube, uh, where we preview the new comics every week. Uh, you can check us out at geekfights.net where we have lists of show ideas, the brackets we mentioned earlier, our past episodes, and links to our wiki, our Facebook page, and our Tumblr. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and the Zoom Network or like us on Facebook. If you'd like to be on the panel, just contact us at geekfights at gmail.com or on Facebook or Twitter. Just look for Geek Fights or follow the links on our website. That's all it takes to join the... Uh-oh. Oh. Uh -huh. Legion of Geeks, uh, our upcoming fights are, well, it's October. It's my birthday month, so we always celebrate October. Well, the last two years we've celebrated October, not our first year, uh, by uh, theming it for Halloween. That's why we're doing a Twilight episode, uh, Twilight Zone episode this week, not Twilight. No, uh, God, no. Best of Twilight. Speaking of Twilight, yeah, next, next week, week is Best Vampire. After that, what? Is that, there's nothing wrong with vampires. After no. that, it's best zombie movie. After mm -hmm. that, is best of Stephen King. After that, to finish off the month, is best monster movie. Any and all ideas are welcome. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. 
Keep fighting the geek fight. Dinosaurs. Uh, you were supposed to say good night, Mike. Uh, the ding was good night. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone.
Oh shit! You know what's on now? What? Soldier Kurt oh, Russell. That, oh, that movie blows. It's amazing. Shut it's up. Aw- it's awful. Shut up. It's great. It's awful. Jason Scott Lee. They're in the future, man. And they, <laughs> he goes to the trash planet. That's 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 the best defense of soldier I've ever heard. Jason Scott Lee, and then they're in there in the future, man. <laughs> Don't forget the trash planet. I mean, there's a trash planet. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Wait a minute. So was that idea? To- that idea was stolen from Lost in Space, wasn't it? A soldier stole a lot of things. No, the the uh, yeah the trash planet. So yeah, there's the a basic three indisputable reasons that soldier rocks. It's in the future. Jason Scott Lee and a trash planet. A trash planet. Yeah. Oh, and you forgot the number one reason of all. Kurt Russell. Uh, it's actually one of my least favorite performances. Where he does not speak. He doesn't speak or emote or do anything. Nothing. And it's like, fuck, that's what Schwarzenegger's for. No. That is the real Kurt Russell. <laughs> uh, I just died. Disney on. took his soul years ago, and th- and this movie was him actually being Kurt Russell. <laughs> awful, awful movie. The theme song for Over the Top was by Larry Green, not Frank Stallone, as mentioned earlier. We apologize for any confusion this may have caused. Fuck Amadeus.